Hello and welcome to episode 253 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. It's very rare that I have anything about this podcast to not look forward to. Yes. I, I look forward to this every week and even like good movie, bad movie, middle of the road movie, I look forward to it. Uh, I am not looking forward to hearing the Sam predicts the plot for the movie <laughs> for this week. I just know... In my sleep-deprived state last week, I said some unhinged shit. It might be worse. Might be worse in my memory. Maybe it wasn't that bad. Fantastic. Yeah. So looking looking forward to that. Awakenings. Yes. The movie today, part two of our 1990 miniseries. Yeah. Part two of what did we say we're doing? Like 15. 15. Part two of 15. We're still right in the very early stages. One of the best picture nominees today. Yeah. Um. It's gonna be interesting. I, I'm actually, I actually am looking forward to this. I don't know how much discussion we'll have on it, but I know we have a lot of other things to talk about. Yes, we so do. We so we will, uh, we will get into that. Why don't we start off, Sam? What have you been watching? Okay, so a couple things I just wanted to uh, briefly mention. One of them is a TV show that I started uh, that I actually forgot I was gonna be talking about, so I should have pulled up its page. Uh, have you heard of The Bear? Yes. Yeah. Uh, two episodes in. Really fucking good. Heard actually, it's un real i uh, emma suggested it i barely knew anything about it all i really knew is that it was starring uh, jeremy allen white who a lot of people know as um lip from oh what's the name of that fucking show with uh, william h macy oh it's gonna bother me shameless, shameless. yes shameless um i haven't seen that either yeah it's fine it's okay mm. it's reasonably good um but it's really fucking good as far as i can tell first two episodes in it's about a, a guy who was kind of a big deal in culinary school like he was kind of supposed to be a bit of like an up-and-coming chef prodigy sort of situation yep, yep. um and due to um a couple of tragic events in his life which i won't totally spoil or get into here he's wound up kind of taking over like the family business like a family restaurant um more of like a you know, like like a sandwich shop sort mm-hmm. of situation but it's like he wants to make it sort of a high-end thing so um a lot of the drama so far has kind of been the power struggle between him and his cousin who is kind of the de facto owner but mm-hmm. he's the chef yep um and it's been really good the, I've, I've heard nothing but amazing things. the dialogue's been ex- been exceptional the first episode is one of the most stressful episodes of television i've ever watched nice just constant like if you've ever worked in a kitchen i haven't but uh just it really captures the atmosphere of people yelling at each other somebody doesn't say behind and the entire kitchen goes say fucking behind what are you doing and you know the camera camera angles are really close in really quickly edited just 30 minutes non-stop of just pressure 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 and uh, it's done really well i do recommend it um again only two episodes in so um looking forward to uh, what goes on in, later on in the season, but so far I'm really having a good time with it. It's been really impressive. This is really high on my want-to-watch list. This is... I always hesitate to make uh, TV show recommendations to you. It's pretty cinematic. It's I've pretty heard, cinematic. I've heard nothing but great things. Currently, as as I've mentioned before, I like to keep my show... My show watching is at two. So I am... In Better Call Saul, just started mm-hmm. season two, and I'm enjoying Ted Lasso season three. Mm-hmm. Now, I refuse to binge. Refuse. I want to watch an episode and sit on it and enjoy it and think about it, and then maybe a few days later, watch another one. I think when I'm done with Ted Lasso, 
my goal, I was thinking I was going to go like to Sopranos next. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to, after I'm done Better Call Saul, I'm going to do one television series where that show is done and I'm going to work through the whole thing. And my other series, I'm going to do limited series where they have like one season. Hmm. So like I want to do The Bear. I want to do Queen's Gambit. I want to do... Have you done Queen's Gambit already? Nope. Oh, I want. I know. I want to do The Watchmen. I want to do Peacekeeper. Uh, I want to do limited runs so I can just do them and then be done with them instead of having to invest in 50 plus hours. I just have to share with you this narrative that's going on in my head right now that is probably not going to happen. But uh, Manny and I have talked off air a couple times about how he's always sending me chess memes because I play chess and he doesn't know. In my head, the narrative is you watch The Queen's Gambit, get really into chess, and then I have somebody to talk to about chess. I don't think it's going to happen, but just... just talk to Charles. Charles is a chess nerd, too. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's very true. One of my coworkers uh, plays chess as well, and I'm, uh, I've been very happy to discuss that with him. He doesn't play as frequently as I do, so if I go to him at work, I'm like, hey, check out this move I played in a game three days ago. He's still like, you fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> But it's fine. I'm glad I uh, back back to the original, the yeah. bear. Uh, I'm glad you're checking it out. I'm looking forward to updates on it. As th- everything I've heard is that the show is amazing, mm-hmm. wicked. Yeah, and it is uh, it is described as a sandwich shop in the interior. I didn't know if they uh, if they had other things there, but the first two episodes has been very sandwich based. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the bear. Right. Uh, a movie that I don't think was on i don't think it's considered list of shame at this point i know tons of people who love this film uh interesting but i had i had never seen it before i don't think you're one of them i'm fairly certain you've seen it i would be surprised if it's one that you love oh fun uh moonrise kingdom haven't seen it you haven't seen it hey okay uh let me navigate over here moonrise kingdom a pair of young lovers flee their new england town which causes a local search party to fan out to find them wes anderson getting another mention on the podcast uh if you're coming into this and you you never heard manny and i talk about wes anderson before he's fine solid movies good filmmaker good command of visual language has a very particular style not really our thing no. Not really my thing. I can respect his artistic talent. His movies, I don't fully enjoy. Every time I talk to anybody about Wes Anderson, I go, yeah, he's okay. It's always the same thing. What about Grand Budapest? What about Grand Budapest? What about Grand Budapest? It's fine. It's a really well-made movie that is just okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, on a technical level, it's a five. On like a my interest level, it's like a two or a three. Yeah. It's like The English Patient. Yeah. It's like I I understand how people feel about the Coen Brothers when I watch Wes Anderson when I when people are like yeah the Coen Brothers like I just don't get the comedy don't get the comedy behind it that's how I feel watching Wes Anderson like when I see that Grand Budapest Hotel is listed as a comedy I'm like where is the funny part yeah literally where am I supposed to be laughing I I don't get it uh, anyway this isn't about Grand Budapest Hotel no it's about Moonrise, it's about Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom um so disappointed in uh, in Grand Budapest liked Fantastic Mr Fox liked royal tenenbaums um isle of dogs was fine great great animation reasonably good story okay uh moonrise kingdom i was pretty sure i was gonna like this one actually this uh it it intrigued me has a good cast and uh yeah i i liked it 
I'd say this would be for me upper tier Wes Anderson of the ones that I've seen, closer to a Fantastic Mr. Fox or Royal Tenenbaums than it was to a Grand Budapest Hotel or Isle of Dogs. Okay. Um, in terms of my enjoyment of them, so um, the weakest part of the movie by far is the uh, the young leads played by Kara Hayward and Jared Gilman as Sam and Susie. The bad acting, the wooden acting, feels like a stylistic choice. So I give it more of a pass than I would from another director. But because it's Wes Anderson, because he's quirky, because there's so many colors, and because everybody's a little wooden, everyone's just very serious in this wacky situation, you can kind of, like, atmospherically, it gets a little bit more of a pass. But these kids did not go on to have acting careers of any kind after, from what I can tell. So I, uh, they're far and away the worst part of the movie. Um but the rest of the cast, Bruce Willis, Bill Murray, Edward Norton, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Jason Schwartzman, Bob Balaban, um, a young Lucas Hedges is in the movie as well. Okay. Um, all very good. All, all doing the Wes Anderson thing. Power to them. This movie is symmetrical. This movie is colorful. This movie is quirky. It is a Wes Anderson film. Um, and it is a very good version of it. I was entertained. My interest was held. I gave it a four. <laughs> okay <laughs> is that is that beyond what you expected it to be yeah going off by what you were talking about yeah well like i mean i gave fantastic mr fox is so, it? oh go ahead so i think royal tenenbaums isle of dogs and grand budapest all got threes from me okay. i've yet to see a west anderson film that i don't like and i don't want it to sound like i don't like him he's a he's a very talented filmmaker he's a very talented filmmaker and I can enjoy watching his films even just from a technical perspective. Like, wow, how difficult must it have been to compose that shot? Wow, how difficult must it have been to, um, you know, insert technical element here. This color palette. How crazy is this color palette? Things like that. It's less of, wow, I hope these two kids can make it work. You know, like, when I think about Wes Anderson films, I just think about the visuals. And okay. generally, generally not all that much meat on the bone. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, I've I've infuriated the Wes Anderson fanboys. They're knocking at the door right now. They're not listening to us. No, they're not. They're no. too busy painting with watercolors. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a there's a sack being hackied somewhere by by those fine people. Four. Alright. Yeah. That was it's a pretty good movie. Moonrise Kingdom of Four. If 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 you're listening to this and you're a Wes Anderson fan and you haven't seen Moonrise Kingdom, the fact that I gave it a four should mean you should probably watch it and give it an instant five. That's probably what you'll think it is. Okay. I don't know why I sound so resentful or condescending when I talk about this. But you really do. I don't know why. That's why I'm like, the four is shocking to me. Yeah, no, it was a fun time. It really was a fun time. It just, you know, it's more due to its technical prowess than it is due to... You it's know, fair. It's story. fair. Okay. Another film I watched this week. Holy shit. Bob. Last night. Ooh. Went to the theater. Oh, that's right. Took advantage of the uh, the free Cineclub passes that have been racking up on my on my Cineclub account. I love that they carry over. Yeah, dude, I had like eight. Nice. Yeah, I used three last night. Me, Emma, and Faith went. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Are we uh, spoiling this thing? Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own. A mission that could mean the end of the Guardians, if not successful. This is a really difficult film to talk about without spoiling it. Um, won't give a spoiler warning yet. Okay. I'll say uh, everything I'd heard about this film was correct, that it is Rocket's movie. It, it is the origin story that people demanded 
I don't know if they really demand that. I was going to say, I'm like, people were demanding that? I don't know if people were really demanding that. I I have mixed feelings about the origin story genre. I think a lot of the time you can uh, you can lose some of the intrigue around a character if you... Uh, you can lose some of the intrigue around a character if you over-explain why they are the way that they are. I think a great example is Heath Ledger Joker. Oh, okay. Heath Ledger Joker, I don't need to know who he is. The fact that we don't know who he is is half the mystery. Mm. Um, I don't think Rocket Raccoon is one of those characters. I think, especially the way it's realized in Guardians 3, the the insights into his past only make him a more deep, more interesting, more compelling, more relatable character. Agreed. Uh, the fact that we already could relate to a to a raccoon was kind of hilarious, but then this film just adds layers to that. And they they really humanize him, and some of the shit that they that James Gunn puts Rocket through is horrible. I don't know how much of this. Did you read the Guardians comics? No, no, you didn't. Fuck no, no. <laughs> Fuck yeah. no. So I don't know how much of this. Anybody is... that said that they did is a fucking liar. Yeah, <laughs> nobody a read those. A fucking liar. Yeah. So I don't know how much of this is pre-existing uh, background, mm, and fair. I don't know how much of this is James Gunn uh, just kind of writing the character nor do i to be but honest. whatever it is it is fucking devastating this is a devastating movie yeah. which is not something you could say about the mcu very often there's a lot of stuff in this movie there's, there's at least one first in there i since i'm not spoiling this i wonder how i can communicate this to you um there's the first instance okay mild spoiler for mild spoiler for uh, guardians 3 the first instance of the f-bomb in yep. the mcu yep and by the way what an f-bomb it is yep absolutely hysterical i l- laughed out loud yeah at, uh, at that instance um i i love the background on rocket i there's a shot at the beginning of a hand reaching into a cage which has been burned into my memory uh beautiful beautiful shot the villain is exceptional. Yeah, one of is. the most easily hateable villains that the MCU has ever put out. He's not one of these guys like... Um, I already forget the name of the villain from Shang-Chi. But uh, him you really related to. He almost could have been the protagonist in his own film. But it just so happened that he was on the other side. Or Killmonger from Black Panther. Um, actually really smart and relatable guy. He's just a little more extreme and hit up in his ideologies than Mm -hmm. uh, T'Challa is. Uh, This villain in Guardians is not that. This dude is a fucking psycho lunatic. The High Evolutionary, played by... I'm really sorry for the probable butchering of this name. Good luck. Chukwudi Iwuji, um, as the High Evolutionary. Fucking exceptional villain, as far as I'm concerned. Early contender for villain of the year. I can't even think of anybody who would come close other than... um, uh, buddy from Ant-Man yeah, Quantumania. Yeah, John, John Majors for yeah, Kang. But he's, se- he's second place at this point for me. Um, there's certain points where the High Evolutionary is um, dipping a toe into the River of Ham, and I'm here for it. It worked. It totally worked for me. Um, there's aspects I liked, aspects I didn't like, but this is one of the strongest... Uh, one of the strongest MCU films since Endgame. I have it second personally beside or behind the last Spider-Man film. Mm. yeah that's fair yeah and uh thank god because the last mcu film that i watched and uh ant-man and wasp quantumania was 
the first failing grade I've ever given to an oh, MCU that's film. Right. Gave it a two. That's right. And it was deserved. It deserved every bit of that too. It earned every shred. I still haven't given a failing grade. Yeah. But I think Quantumania might have come the closest. Um, Let's see. I'm doing a whole MCU rewatch. Guardians 3 really defied my expectations. It really played with my expectations. I think it knew what people expected of it, and it refused to go down that route. And I think the movie's better for it. That's not to say that being unpredictable is the same thing as being good. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the way that it subverted expectations and told the story that it wanted to tell. Um, tons of great character moments from all of our main uh, members of the Guardians. A great character moment, or a, a great new character in the High Evolutionary. I hope uh, I hope we see more, <laughs> and I think it's hinted that we might. Mm-hmm. Um, and more than anything, just the best character study that the mcu has released in i don't know maybe ever <laughs> as far as focus on an individual character this is this is one of the best ones that they've done so kudos to them i give guardians a four yeah yeah uh i won't say too much uh i would honestly be shocked if a mcu fan watched this and didn't like it mm-hmm. like that would honestly blow my mind if you liked either of the Guardians movies, then you're going to love this. This is full-on Guardians diving deep into diving deep into Rocket, and you get a lot of great character moments from all of the all of the Guardians. And the movie, I won't, I'm not, I won't spoil anything. I, I sh- if I remember, I'll, I'll tell you um, off air. But I think I told you I made a prediction. Yeah, when I before the movie started, I think I, you actually did tell me not last week, but a long time ago. I think you told me what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, and I'm happy to say it didn't. Mm-hmm. I would have been fine if it did, but it didn't. So it was nice that my expectations were subverted. Also, um, I thought a very good performance from Zoe Saldana. Actually, I yeah. don't know if you noticed that. But um, she's been good as Gamora before. No, I've had no problems with her as Gamora. But she has a couple of really good scenes yeah. in the movie. And I was very impressed by her. Yeah, yeah. Because she's kind of playing a different version of Gamora. If you've been keeping up with the MCU, you definitely know why. Yep. And she kind of gets to do or you're, or you're mushy and you don't remember. Yeah. It's kind of like she's playing two different characters. And she plays this other character she hasn't played before really well, in my opinion. So, yep. Great. That's, that's all awesome. I've been watching. The Bear, Moonrise Kingdom, Gardens of the Galaxy. Good week for Sam. Awesome. Uh, I've been watching a lot. Shocker. Yeah. So I'm going to lump these three together. Not even going to really talk about these movies. I kind of want to talk more about the experience of watching these movies. These three movies, right now, they're five out of fives. These are fives across the board. Whoa. The three movies are Wind River, Spotlight, and Zero Dark Thirty. The reason I want to talk about these movies is I got to do watch-alongs with PFGs. Nice. And... It has been a fucking delight. I did a watch along with Wind River last night with Wes. Have you ever seen it before? No. Oh, this is his first watch. Yes. Great. And that's what made that's what made all three of these movies enjoyable for a watch along because each PFG had never seen them before. Mm-hmm. So Wind River was with Wes. I'm not going to get into the movie. I only want to talk about the experience. You and I have recorded an episode on Wind River. Mm-hmm. People want to hear our thoughts. They can go back. I think it's episode 140, if I'm not mistaken. The other movie, Spotlight, Mushy'd never seen it. 
I never realized that Spotlight is quickly becoming one of my go-to movies to just put on and watch and relax. I've watched it four or five times within the last three years. Fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. And Zero Dark Thirty, I've been itching to rewatch, and I got to watch it with Jordan, who had never seen it before. And watching it for the first time with somebody is so much fun. And there's this part I wanted to spoil in Zero Dark Thirty, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Um, all three of these movies, fives for me. I had a great time. I just wanted to shout it out because I had a great time. Oh, right. Also, sorry, fuck. I also did a watch along with Interstellar with Rachel. Uh, but that movie did not get a five. It got a four. Yeah. And 100%, it was Dr. Point because of the ending, which Sam and I just discussed. <laughs> yeah, we just talked off, about it off air. Off air. <laughs> I will not spoil but it. But it could arguably earn that point back for the beautiful score. No, it cannot. Oh. It will never, ever be a five. A score that I once heard described as online, um, like Hans Zimmer's cat walked on his pipe organ. <laughs> <laughs> it is a truly magnificent score. And an incredibly, One of my favorites ever. incredibly entertaining movie that is completely fucking wrecked with the last ten minutes. Completely of the film. wrecked, and that's why it gets a four. That's why it gets a four. It is, it is a five until the last ten minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm having a great time buying into the whole science fiction premise of it. He plays within his rules. He does everything fine, and I'm, I'm buying in fine. Last ten minutes wrecked the movie for me. I can't get past it. I can't. Maybe it's because I'm a father. Maybe. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Per- nope, it can't be that because I fucking hated the ending before I was a father too. Oh, yeah. Interstellar came out 2014? Yep. Nine years. Fuck. Yep. Would have came out. Oh, what, no. Would have came out after my, fa- after my daughter. Okay. I am adding Interstellar back to my watch list, first of all, because I do really love this movie. I don't know if it'd be a four or five for me. I'd have to go back and watch. Um... Okay, so it came. It it had it did come out after I had a daughter, but my daughter would have been like less than six months old when I saw it. Yeah, in you're still getting to know each other. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I liked her. Yeah, you know, <laughs> don't know if I want to continue this. Yeah, I still haven't decided. Nine years later, <laughs> you love your daughter, you softy. Fuck, I do ever. I know. Fuck, I'm so excited. Okay, so I just wanted to spotlight. Ha <laughs> ha. That uh, I got to. I've now done four watchalongs. With uh, with my PFGs, and uh, I've had a great time. I'm hoping right now we haven't scheduled it, but uh, Wes and Jordan haven't seen When Harry Met Sally. Oh, nice. So we're all wanting to do that. Uh, yeah, having a great time with that. Hmm. Uh, and since I'm talking about watch-alongs, I'll just mention this right now. Me, Wes, Ashley, and Jordan are doing a full MCU rewatch, and we've made spreadsheets to track our scores and our favorite quotes fucking and all nerds. this. Yeah, super fucking nerds. Yeah. Been so much fun. Uh, I think you should know I just added Spotlight, Zero Dark Thirty, and Interstellar back to my watch list because it's been so long since I've seen all of those. Yes. Wind River could arguably go on there too, but it's been more recent, and I've seen that movie probably more times than all the other three. I've watched Wind River twice within the last three months. Yeah, such a good movie. And I'll watch it again. I'd watch it again Did you tonight. know it wasn't nominated for any Oscars? <laughs> What? Yeah, first time hearing of Not it. Not one? Not one. That is ridiculous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that we have a joke that dates back to our very first episode. Agreed. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, okay. 
let's get to the other movies that I would like to discuss a little bit more. Uh, a podcast I listen to is called Blank Check. And uh, the Blank Check podcast, uh, what they do is they break down a director's entire filmography in chronological order. And they've, they've covered some really great directors, and I've had a lot of fun. And so they've decided to go back, and they're doing Buster Keaton. Oh, fun. So I've decided... I was wondering why you did uh, Buster Keaton the other day. So I've decided I'm, I don't know how much I'm going to do Buster Keaton because they're doing... Because his movies are only like an hour long, they're doing two a week. And while that should be easy for me to do because that would be the same as me watching another movie, silent movies aren't quite my jam. And so I watched... Uh, I, I, I'm going to have to assume it's his first film. It's called Three Ages. Uh, the Misadventures of Buster in Three Separate Historical Periods. What this film is about, uh, it tells the story of how love hasn't changed throughout history. Hmm. So one love story is told during the prehistoric times, one is told during Roman times, and one is told during modern times back in the 1920s. It took me a while to get back into silent film, to watch it and be entertained. And I think part of it is they're not told, like, you don't watch the prehistoric story and then the Roman story. You see part of the prehistoric story, then part of the Roman, then part of the modern, and then it rotates through. Oh, a nonlinear storyline back in the 20s. Yeah. Huh. But there's no co- there's no connection between the three, be- except that Buster Keaton's in it. Well, actually, all th- the three main characters are in all three. They're just playing different characters. Right. Um, once I got into it again, it became a little bit. I got used once I got used to it, my entertainment and enjoyment level rose. But the climax of each vignette really pays off hmm. because one of the things about Buster Keaton is his physical comedy and his stunt work, and he shows it off in all three. Yeah. I admittedly don't have a lot of experience with Buster Keaton, but what I do know, I, I haven't, I haven't sat down and watched a Buster Keaton movie. Yep. But I have seen like compilations yes. of Buster Keaton stunts. And that man was a fucking crazy person. Yeah. Put himself in a lot of danger for the shot. Yes. Obsessed with that. I'm very. Has there ever been a, a movie made about his life? Not like, to my knowledge. Really, should, he's a very intriguing person. Because yeah. Just constantly putting himself in danger. Um. So I had a good time with this movie. I gave it a three because it's only, I think it was like an hour and 10. And I would say it took me almost half an hour to get into it. Hmm. But the endings are so good, it elevated my score. Like I really wasn't having a good time until I got to the ends of them. There were a couple full, I full on laugh out loud moments that were like his physical comedy is unreal my my experience with silent movies is also pretty limited um i think the only one to my knowledge i can remember watching is uh charlie chaplin the kid Mm -hmm. um and nosferatu oh and nosferatu yeah Uh, so we didn't care for nosferatu no but um charlie chaplin the kid holds up exceptionally well yeah and a couple genuine belly laugh moments yes in it like they're the physical comedy of these guys is so fucking good it's crazy i think a lot of people write these films off because they're silent films and they're old and they're black and white there's no dialogue and i i get that and i wouldn't fault you for even enjoying them less but i think if you go back and revisit them there is 
a lot of timeless comedy to be found. I mean, really, that's the thesis of the movie that you just said. I mean, from what you told me, is yep. that a lot of this stuff is not... It wasn't invented in the 1920s, and it wasn't invented in the 2020s. Like, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is timeless. Yeah. But one of the thing, One... When I had this revelation about... Again, it's probably about half an hour into the movie that really made me enjoy the movie more is as I was watching it, I can see the things that people would have enjoyed in the 1920s that they would have found funny. And that made me happy thinking just sitting in a theater with hundreds of other people and thinking of them dying laughing at what's on screen brought me joy. Hmm. Now, while I didn't find it funny, the idea that others did because it's the 1920s it, I don't know what it, I can't explain it but it, it, it made me happy mm-hmm. um, so three ages uh, three stars I do want to I'm definitely going to watch more I want to see more and again they're just over an hour long so far so uh, I had a great time three ages it's on free on YouTube right now cool and I think the next one that they're doing on the same episode as three ages which I can't remember the name of it's free on YouTube as well there's a from my understanding, almost all of Buster Keaton's filmography is free on. Well, YouTube. it's all it's all public domain, I assume at this yeah. point. So yeah. Uh, the next movie I want to talk about is a movie that ties in with your watching of The Bear. This was recommended to me by one of my best friends, Chad. Uh, this movie is uh, a 2021. They call it a drama thriller. It's just kind of a drama. Could be maybe a thriller. It's called Boiling Point. Enter the relentless pressure of a restaurant kitchen as a head chef wrangles his team on the busiest day of the year. Uh, this stars Stephen Graham. He's really the only person in this movie that would be famous. Most people would know him as the other guy in Snatch, mm. not Jason Statham. Yeah, the other guy. The other <laughs> guy. This movie, Sam, is very... well. This movie is uh, one hour and 32 minutes long, Sam. It's done in one take. Not trickery. One take. Oh, cool. Yeah, because uh, a movie like Birdman, which is marketed as being one take, is really like kind of it's a pseudo one take. There's a couple of hidden cuts in yeah, there. There's no hidden cuts. They were filming this right as COVID was hitting. They had it on the schedule to have enough times to do eight takes. COVID hit. Restrictions going up, they cut it to four. The movie you see is take three. It's very enjoyable because there's no camera trickery. It is literally just watching all these people do a play for an hour and 30 minutes wow. in a restaurant, and the camera is always moving. That's cool. That's very cool. So it's in the kitchen with them. It goes into, it goes into the back alleyways. It's... A thoroughly enjoyable film. None of the performances are award-worthy, but none of them are bad. This was an incredibly entertaining movie. I had a fucking great time. And once, I would say 15 minutes in, you stop noticing that it's a one-take and you're just enjoying the movie. I have worked in a restaurant, not in the kitchen. I've been a server. This is a pretty accurate movie. <laughs> and this movie this movie 
the camera, like I said, the camera doesn't stop. So you follow the chefs into the kitchen. You watch them cook. You watch them prep. And then it'll come out, and then you'll a server will come in, and then it will follow a server to the table, and you'll see them dealing with the table, and then it will come back out, and you'll go and you'll follow another character. It's awesome. It was really enjoyable. I had a really great time with it. I didn't like the ending because it wasn't what I wanted. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's untrue, like another movie I mentioned earlier. Hmm. But uh, I really wish it had a better ending than the one they went with. But the ending that they chose is definitely earned. I just wish they went with a different one. Another good movie with a really good false one take, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. By the way, oh, I forgot to mention that the, the ha- hallway the scene, hallway scene the yeah. uh, the no sleep till Brooklyn fight, really good. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, this is really intriguing. I actually just added this to my watch list as well. This sounds this sounds super up my alley. I definitely think this is something you would like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's ninety minutes, so it's. I'm always it, looking for short ones to throw on the watch list. Yeah, know? short ones are great. Um, okay, the next movie I watched. Uh, I went to my mom's um, to uh, to have dinner and to start training on how to become a bookkeeper. And on the way there, my car broke down. And so we had to wait for a tow truck. And it took just over four hours. So we had some time to kill. And, oh, no, I wasn't there to, what was I? I went there to cook my mom dinner because it was, it was my Mother's Day present. It wasn't Mother's Day. It was Monday. So it was Monday. I went over to cook my mom dinner, and uh, the car broke down. I cooked her dinner. We had dinner, and then we had to wait. So she's like, do you want to watch a movie? And I was like, who do you think Twist you're talking Twist my arm, why who, don't you? Who do you think you're talking to? Now, going through my mom's Netflix is a little different than going through mine. And seeing the movies that my mom has watched, I'm like, mom, I can't believe you watch such fucking crap. And she's like, well, I put them on, then I realize they're not good, so I turn them off. I'm like, you have a son that knows movies. Why are you not texting me and asking for something to watch? But whatever. So I saw this movie that I'd heard was enjoyable. And I thought it'd be my, it might be one that my mom would like. Seems like she'd already seen it, but she didn't care. That movie is the 2015 film The Intern. Starring Robert De Niro and uh, Anne Hathaway, Rene Russo, uh, 70-year-old widower Ben Whitaker has discovered that retirement isn't all it's cracked up to be. Seizing an opportunity to get back in the game, he becomes a senior intern at an online fashion site founded and run by Jules Austin. Prior to the podcast I was listening to, which I can't remember which one it was, that was kind of like raving about this movie. Probably, in all honesty, I think it might have been the Blank Check podcast again. They went off on how great this movie is. They said it's a perfect airplane movie. And I'm like, oh, that's a great descriptor. Descriptor, sorry. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a chance. Um, Sam, this movie's fucking great. Really? Yeah. That's not going to lie. That's a surprise. Okay. Before I talk about it, four out of five. Okay. Um, this movie went places. Or oh, Sorry. It didn't go to the usual places I thought it would. And Robert De Niro is really charming 
in this movie. It's about the old school coming in and kind of reintroducing old school ethics and ideas into the new school philosophy. Anne Hathaway, uh, as the owner and founder of her company, uh, I can't remember what it's called. It is a, it is a online fashion site, so it's an online place that you order clothes. Uh, they really make sure that she's not doing the Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada. It's mm-hmm. not like she's all of a sudden this bitch boss. She is a very capable woman running her company that has grown faster than she has anticipated, and it's it is it's in danger of slipping out of her fingers because she's trying to do too much without delegating enough. And this movie is about Ben Whitaker, who gets hired as a they they do a senior intern program, so they hire like three other old people, and he's chosen as her assistant and he just helps he this movie is about a woman and a man becoming friends with no romance whatsoever Hmm. at all i like that it's just about these two people who become friends and it's just about ben showing and reminding jules that she is the one that built this company and she is fully capable of running it it's just about one friend building up the other and I fucking had a really good time. Super adorable. It has a couple. It has one scene that isn't necessary. It's a little out of tone with the rest of the movie. It's super fucking fun, but it, it strains the credulity of the movie hmm. because the rest of the movie is set in reality. This one is going a little far outside, but whatever. It's fun. I didn't, it didn't bother me that much. And there's one subplot that the movie didn't need that I really wish had been left out. But I had a really great time with this movie, and I was surprised as I, as I was continuing watching it how much fun I was having. The Intern, 4 out of 5. I want to read you a quote here, Manny, just really quick. Again, yeah. I have no experience with this movie. I do remember this being advertised. I'm shocked to learn that it was actually good because I remember seeing that and being like, that's probably terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Here's a quote, um, and I'll reveal after the quote who it's from. Okay. Um, one of my favorite movies this last year was Nancy Meyers' The Intern. They're not considering that for the Oscars, even though I think Robert De Niro gave one of the best performances of the year in that movie. I thought the script was actually one of her best, right up there with It's Complicated. They're not asking her to be part of the discussion. That is Quentin Tarantino. Well, I think it was one of his favorite movies of the year. Which is amazing. Yes. That's great. Yeah. I love that he's into it. Yeah. One of the best performances of the year from De Niro. Is that true? In 2014? 15, yep. Yeah. I'd have to double check that year. Yeah. We don't really need to go down that rabbit hole if we don't want to, but oh, we want to. Manny, Manny's pulling it up. So that's the 2016 Oscars. <laughs> Correct. So what did we just have? 95? We just had, or we just had 96? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who do we got in Best Actor? 2015. 2015. It's, Leo wins? Yeah. For The Revenant? Yeah. Um, we have, hold on, see if I can remember this year. Um, I is, think you'll get at least four. If you get all five, I will honestly tip my cap to you. 
Is it Benedict Cumberbatch? No. Eddie Redmayne? Yeah. For Theory of Everything? No. Danish Girl? Correct. Um, I remember thinking he was favored for some reason. Okay, so we got I, Leo. We got... You've seen the... You're, you've seen one that, that you're missing. I'm not sure you've seen the other one, but you might know it. And then there's one I doubt you've seen, and you will not get, even though you love the actor. Oh, wow. Um, it's not like William H... Or sorry, um, Willem Dafoe. No? Okay, I don't think I'm going to get okay. it. Matt Damon for The Martian. Oh, okay, yep. Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs. Yeah, I haven't seen that. And the one that if you got, I would just tip my cap to you. It's Brian Cranston for Trumbo. Oh, yeah, there's no way I would have gotten that. Yeah. Um, so I've seen, I've only seen three performances from this year. DiCaprio, Damon, and Fassbender. I can't put De Niro in in any of them. But, no, he's the lead. He's not the supporting. Hathaway's the supporting. So, I I can't I can't take out any of those three for De Niro, but the nice thing, I think one of the things that Tarantino loves so much is De Niro's use has an it's an understated performance. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any flashy scenes. He's very, while he's the lead character, he's very supporting. Oh. It's all about him helping the other people, and his reactions to their reactions to what's going on uh who else could we have had that year i mean hateful eight came out that year so you arguably could have had samuel jackson in there that's a supporting role really he's not the lead who who is walton goggins Mm. not i don't think it's kurt russell if that's who you're going to i don't want to say why yeah i know (laughs) but yeah yeah that's hard yeah i guess he could be Hold on. We also had uh, also had the big short that year. So Hateful Eight didn't even get a didn't get a screenplay nomination. Is that what you were about to say? That's kind of crazy. Um, But then it's original. I'm looking at the. (laughs) (laughs) These are the nominees for best original screenplay that year. Straight out of Compton. Okay. Inside Out. Yep. Ex Machina. Yep. Bridge of Spies, mm-hmm. which is the only one I would take out. And the winner, Spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know if I could take any of those out for Hateful Eight. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting year. That's a, that's a good year. I'm looking at this uh, these movies right now. Man, that was a quality year. I think that was the first year I watched all of the... Or I tried to watch all the Best Picture nominees. I still haven't seen Brooklyn. It's okay. I definitely did see Brooklyn. I think. Can you just read those uh, nominees real quick? I think I did see all of yeah. them that year. Spotlight, uh-huh. The Big Short, mm-hmm. Bridge of Spies, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. Okay, I have seen all of those. Good year. Anyway, that's a bit of a side tangent from the intern. Let's tangent it up. Yeah. All right. We're all about it. Four out of five. Intern. Cool. Last movie. One I was super excited to see. The reunion we'd all been waiting for. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Air. Haven't seen this yet. Follows the history of shoe salesman Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of the greatest athlete in the history of basketball, Michael Jordan. Ben Affleck returns to the director's chair to direct his, I'm assuming, still best friend, Matt Damon. This also stars Jason Bateman. It also stars uh, Damon Wayans. It also stars Chris Tucker. 
This also stars Viola Davis. This movie's really good. Oh, yeah. This movie is a lot of fun. This is on streaming now, right? It's on Amazon. Yeah, because it's playing at the theater right now. I don't know if I really want to pay to go see this at Paramount. But. I was ready to go see this in the theater. Uh, and I can't remember why I ditched out. Uh, I would have loved to have seen this in the theater. I was just, I just wanted to see this. Yeah. And and it's not even premium on Prime, right? Like, it's just on there. Just watch it. Yeah. It's it's streaming on Prime. Amazon bought it. Nice. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, wouldn't be surprised if Damon gets a nomination. A Wayans brother with a with an Oscar nom. No, Matt Damon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Matt Damon. I thought you were talking about Damon Wayans. No, Damon Wayans. He's only. Uh, I th- I think he's only in two scenes, hmm. but he's really good in them. Everybody is really good in this movie. Everybody else isn't like at award worthy level. Even Matt Damon, you're not gonna watch this. I. It wasn't like I was watching this. Like I was watching King Richard with Will Smith, where after I watched King Richard, I was like, he's going to win the Oscar. Mm-hmm. I could see him getting a nomination from this. And the only reason I say that is that this is a really good movie, and it's already on streaming. So all the Academy will be watching it all year long. It's readily available. Interesting strategy. Yes. So we'll see. If he do- like, If he doesn't, it, I, it's not like he, I think he got snubbed. It's just a, it's just a really, it's a really good performance. I, I would honestly be choked if he won. Because this is not what De- Matt Damon should win an Oscar for. An acting Oscar, he does have a writing Oscar. Right. But Goodwill Hunting. Yes, talented Mr. Ripley. Mm. The Martian, actually, it would be my choice. I hate that DiCaprio won for The Revenant. DiCaprio should have. I won don't for- hate it. It's just, you know. I just don't think it's his best performance. It's not, but it's it's not trying to figure out, hey, this is your best performance. It's trying to figure out best performance of the year. It's not Although, the best performance of the year. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree with you. I, don't even... I just want to make sure we're being mad about the right thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Revenant's probably, well, whatever. Uh, the movie's really, it's really good. It's really enjoyable. Um There are two incredibly powerful scenes. Not that brought me tears, but the kind of acting and monologue where you're like, yeah, this is why I like movies. And uh, Matt Damon has one of them, and it's really fucking good. Uh, It's just a thoroughly enjoyable movie that I could easily watch probably multiple times. There's not much in here to not like Affleck as a director goes a little overboard on making sure that you know that this movie's set in the eighties because any chance he can get to do a needle drop, he fucking takes it and he picks the 80, 80s, 80, 80, 80st <laughs> movies or sorry songs <laughs> for his movie. Uh, and then, it, ride. and then it's constantly also throwing cutaway images of iconic things from the 80s so you know this is set in the 80s constantly Hmm. 
not to the point for someone like myself who grew up in the 80s every time he did it, i was like oh yeah it made me happy for someone that has no connection to the 80s you might be like okay we fucking get it it's set in the 80s thanks dude i'm sorry i have to take any opportunity i can to insert a story about bojack horseman hell yeah there is a there's a flashback scene in the 80s where he's talking to his bartender about a a movie he just shot or a tv show he just shot and he's like so anyway i said to the director we get it with all the meta jokes the other time periods were different you don't have to rub our noses in it anyway i'll have a new coke please (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah um so yeah air thoroughly enjoyable highly recommend i think it's a movie that you would enjoy uh air four out of five for me yeah i i will be checking this one out for awesome sure. oh not that it matters not really spoiling anything but it's hasn't been the best year so far for 2023 air is my number one movie of the year <laughs> guardians <laughs> is my number one so far Ooh, guardians might be my number one let me double check you that. forgot to log it no 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 i'm just wondering which one i know that i have it let's see which one did i put it number one no, Guardians is number one. Air's number two. Te- Tetris, number three. That's as far as I'm willing to go. I have now seen... I'm just realizing I didn't add my... Uh, I didn't add Guardians 3 to my 2023 list, so I'm going to have to do that and put it right at the top. <laughs> just see I'm watching him drag and drop. Yeah, dethroning <laughs> Infinity Pool, which I gave three stars. <laughs> I've only watched four of, of four movies this year. Uh, four 2023 movies, that is. I think is. I'm currently sitting at 10. At 10. Oh, no, sorry, nine. Nine. And I just revealed my top three. I must have missed it because I heard Guardians and Air, but... Tetris. Oh, yeah. Cool. That's also on my watch list. All right. That's what we've been watching. That was fun as always. Yep. Let's Thank get- you for those quote unquote five movies, Manny. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't talk about Wind River, Spotlight, Zero Dark Thirty, or I did talk a little bit about Interstellar. Yeah, I just talked about the people I watched it with. Love <laughs> I, you guys. I'm just, I'm just busting your balls. Love you guys. I know. Anyway, I could cheat the system. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, we are here to talk about uh, the first of the Best Picture nominees of the year, and that is Awakenings, released December twelfth, nineteen ninety, in limited. Uh, and then came out wide on January 11th, 1991. Uh, directed by Penny Marshall. A League of Their Own. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, written by Oliver Sacks and Steve Zahn. Uh, starring Robert De Niro, Robin Williams, and Julie Kavner. Has a Metascore of 74 and a letterbox of 3.8. So that's pretty equal there. It got nominated for three Oscars. Best Picture. Best Actor for Robert De Niro. And Best Adapted Screenplay. Had a budget of $31 million. It grossed 52, making it the 23rd highest grossing film of the year. The plot. The victims of an encephalitis epidemic many years ago have been catatonic ever since. But now, a new drug offers the prospect of reviving them. Sam had never seen Awakenings and was happy to give his predictions on what Awakenings was about Let's hear I was delighted. what he has to say. Sam, have you seen Awakenings? Not only have I not seen Awakenings, I have no idea about it. I don't know who's in it. I don't know who directed it. I don't know anything. I have no idea. All right. So what is Awakenings going to be about? Uh, so when I hear Awakenings, when I hear that word, I, for some reason, the only phrase that comes into my mind, sexual awakenings. Oh. That's, that's all that I can think. I'm going to say this is, this is an erotic film. Oh, wow. 
Um, but uh, you know what? Yeah, it's it's a. <gasps> I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I, I, I'm trying to think of where my brain wants to even go with this. My stupid tired brain that uh, has been awake for so long. Yeah, it's a it's a movie about a sexual awakening of. Let's say a housewife who uh, oh, gets who gets divorced. I'm kind of I'm low key gonna steal the plot of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel here, but I'm gonna run with it. A uh, housewife gets divorced and uh, because of it uh, goes on a uh, journey of sexual self discovery. That is that is the plot of Awakenings. Excellent, excellent. All right, Sam, uh, you gotta take the loss on that one. Yeah, um, <laughs> Manny, I gotta say there is there is a special kind of horror. In hearing your own voice, your own sleep-deprived voice from a week in the past, uh, decide to use the phrase "sexual awakening." <laughs> There's a special kind of horror associated with that. But uh, yeah, definitely taking the L on that. I don't know if there's a single part of this. I don't know if there's a, that might be the furthest off base I've been with one of the predictions, which makes sense because it's also one that I just knew absolutely nothing about. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Usually, there's something I can grab onto, like "aha, I got that right." Um, De Niro is a little bit horny and pervy when he comes out of the, the thing in Awakenings. That's the closest I connection. I, I thought you were going to grasp at that one. Yeah, I'm grasping at straws here, but I'm going to have to give myself a failing grade. That's fair. Yeah. There's nothing right. All right. So you tried. That was the fun part. The lesson here is nothing good comes of trying, and you should just you should just never try to do new things or experiment. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, not what I would have got. That's, that's sarcasm, by the way. All right. Sam. <laughs> You haven't seen Awakenings. Why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on this Best Picture nominee? Yeah, so for the first 10 minutes of this film, all I could think was, shit, I'm going to have to eat crow on that, on that, on the, uh, on the Sam Predicts the Plot segment. Um, I, as you heard, I had never heard this story. Even when it got into it, um, I, th I thought I kind of recognized the name Dr. Sayer, but as the movie went along, I realized I really did not know this story. Yeah. I had never heard this before. Um, it was to the fact, it, it was to the point where I really had to look up this story after the fact to make sure it wasn't Hollywood bullshit. Okay. This, this actually feels, this feels like it shouldn't have happened. It feels like it wasn't true. It's an incredible story. Yeah. I was actually riveted front to back, um, with a healthy dose of skepticism, because again, I didn't know about this. I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't, if this really happened this way, <laughs> I should know that this happened. This is an extraordinary thing that happened in this hospital. Um, and I, I, I didn't. So it, uh, it felt Oscar baity. The movie did, but in like a good kind of way, there's okay. a lot of elements of this that definitely felt like they were reaching for Oscars. Like the, the De Niro performance while really good is like right up Oscar alley. This is, <laughs> um please continue yeah I, it felt like it was very much geared at the geared at the academy um nothing wrong with that um but i, I did uh <laughs> i did feel like i was being acted at at a couple of times but the performance was, was very very good um it's funny you mentioned spotlight manny it this does kind of remind me of spotlight in its tone it's not a very showy movie at all. There's not a lot of directorial flourishes. There's not even a lot of showy acting performances with the exception of De Niro's. It's a very matter-of-fact film that delivers information to you um, in a concise, clear way. And when characters get information revealed to them, very rarely are they 
freaking out about it, quite often they are they're silent and the drama is revealed in their facial reaction to that news and not a lot of time is spent on on reactions um so yeah i thought it was well directed subtly acted with the exception of de niro who is very much being featured um in the film and does a really good job i just i was really just blown away that this was a real story um and it made me curious to go back and read the book uh that this is based off of Mm -hmm. um we'll get into the specifics of what it's actually about but i i can't believe that all these people went through what they went through and then i can't believe that their tale ended in the way that it did it is it is a profoundly sad thing yes that happens to these people and it, it that actually blew me away so i think robin williams gave a very subtle non-robin williamsy performance i don't mean to say that he's never giving good performances he's just usually a lot more out there he's playing a very shy character let, uh, let me put it this way and i i don't mean this to sound in a negative connotation mm-hmm. you didn't need robin williams to play this part no like i applaud him in his, in this performance i think he's really good i don't know he I, he must have been friend he must be friends with penny marshall yeah. and that doesn't surprise me because penny marshall uh comes Actually, I fuck. I know for a fact because Penny Marshall used to be on a hit show in the '80s called Laverne and Shirley. At the same time that Robin Williams was on a show called Mark and Mindy, mm-hmm. so they probably were friends. And they're in the comedy scene in the '80s, so they're most likely friends. So that's how he got the role. This, like, he is. You know, fuck it. This is the most un-Robin Williams role I've ever seen. He yes. does not ever once. Do a Robin Williams things. He does do it, and it's not a bad thing. He does do it in Goodwill Hunting. He does do it in almost every film of him I've ever seen. You get to have the scene of Robin Williams just going. Yes, and he does not do that here. No, and I really liked that. Uh, not that I don't love a Robin Williams shtick. I'm a huge fan of it, but I kept, I kept wait, I kept waiting for him to just do one, one Robin Williams thing, and Didn't he do doesn't. It. No, um, loved. Robin Williams in the movie, he is uh, he gives a great performance that allows Robert De Niro to shine. Mm-hmm. Julie Kavner, not necessarily her fault. The character is just underwritten. This, again, I would need to do more research. I would need to actually read the book to see if this character is in the book. This felt like a... This felt like they brought the script to a Hollywood executive and they said, can he fall in love at the end? That's what it felt like. To, it just didn't... It didn't make sense for these two to to be together it's barely in the movie so it didn't bother me that much that it was but i would have liked it to be in the movie less i.e not at all it just didn't make a lot of sense to me fair yeah so um that's basically it not a very showy movie other than the de niro performance it's directed very matter-of-factly almost like a documentary um we're not showing off how cool our camera angles are we're not showing off how cool our shots are we're not showing off how creative our editing can be we're telling a story and what a story it is screenplay is great acting is great a couple of things i might trim but other than that i was i was actually very invested in this nice so prior to recording tonight i uh, posed the question to sam would this count as a first watch for me if i hadn't seen this movie since probably 1991 or 1992 and I barely remember anything. But I know for a fact 
that I have seen this movie, but I probably only remembered about maybe four scenes. And Sam and I both decided that this does not count as a first watch because I, I know I know for a fact I've seen this movie. So this is the second time I've watched this movie. I had completely forgotten how well both Robin Williams and Robert De Niro are in this movie. You saying that this felt like a very Oscar Beatty performance from Robert De Niro going for the Oscar because of his disability. I, I, I'm pretty sure you saw my reaction to you saying that. Mm. The only reason is, is that it feels that way now. Mm. What I was quickly looking up was the history of best actor wins and nominations. It was only the year before that Daniel Day-Lewis got his win for My Left Foot. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Dustin Hoffman for Rain Man, either one or two years before that. Yep. Yep. Which it's, that's more verbal twitchy than physical twitchy. Yeah. Uh, but the, I haven't seen Rain Man, so what am I going to say? But. Yeah, it, he's, he's, he's just, he's playing somebody who's autistic, but it's on the lower end scale. But he's very, he's very verbally twitchy, not mm-hmm. physically twitchy like De Niro mm-hmm. is. Uh and then, yeah, just looking at some of the other ones, like not winners, just even nominations, you don't see a lot of overcoming a, a physical type of adversity until Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot. Okay, and that's then, fair. And, uh, but you're coming from the world post My Left Foot and everybody, everybody trying to copy it, like this performance, uh, and then we have – Somebody like, uh, where's another one? Uh, fuck. I, w- I wish I could think of another one right off the top of my head. Oh, like, well, there's Nigel Hawthorne in The Madness of King George, which you didn't get to see. Uh, we have um, Sean Penn in I Am Sam. What about um, uh, a little bit later, but Eddie Redmayne in Theory of Everything? Yep. Jeffrey Rush in Shine. Yep. Yep. So it's all after Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> that, People went, hey, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what it looks like. Just looking at, like, pre-Daniel Day-Lewis, like the year before is Hoffman and Rayman, so it could be those back-to-back years. But the other people nominated that year, Gene Hackman from Mississippi Burning, he's fucking unreal in it, but no disability. Hmm. Tom Hanks in Big, the disability of a teenage boy being an old adult, but that doesn't count. Edward James Almost in Stand and Deliver, a movie I think you would really like. That's one of the uh, uh, grizzled teacher connects to a classroom full of students, right? Close. Very, very close. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then I haven't seen Max Mansato in uh, Pelly the Conqueror. But again, before that, Michael Douglas wins for Wall Street. William Hurt in Broadcast News, nothing there. I don't know what Marcello Mastriani is, but Jack Nicholson in Ironweed, nope. Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam. Paul Newman wins for Color of Money. Nothing there. Dexter Gordon. Don't know. Bob Hoskins, Mona Lisa. Don't know. William Hurt, Children of a Lesser God. Oh, I think that might be uh, an overcome adversity kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, and then James Wood and Salvador. Nope. And then I keep going back. I just don't see anybody overcoming any type of adversity, physical or even mental, in them. Hmm. Um, so it's just funny that i think those back-to-back years of of rain man in my left foot really really uh, set, the, set, set a trend yeah, yeah yeah um so 
rewatching this after 30 years. Um, the movie... The movie doesn't drag, but came awfully close to doing it for me. Hmm. But I think it's because I knew this story, so there wasn't there wasn't anything to rivet me. There wasn't the revel. There wasn't anything that was going to be happening that would surprise me, because I knew I knew the whole story. Now, did I know the intricacies of what happened? No, because I couldn't remember. But I knew the gist. I knew the big points, which we won't spoil. Um, but I knew about what happens to Robert. I knew what I knew Robert De Niro's arc. I knew everything that happened to him, just mm. not the details. So I found myself not bored, but dangerously close for a Best Picture nominee. I agree. The filmmaking in this movie is perfectly adequate. It neither wowed me nor left me unimpressed. It's basically doing exactly what it needs to do, telling you the story. It does not try to show off. I feel – I just felt that Penny Marshall felt that this story and the performance she's getting from the two lead actors in this movie, it didn't need anything else. You're watching two incredibly talented actors really do amazing work with one doing a – completely outside what he normally does performance and mm -hmm. that's Robin Williams the thing with Robert De Niro is it's really nice to be reminded every once in a while that he is one of the greatest actors ever and I think in this while you're right it is a definitely an Oscar bait performance especially you haven't I assume you haven't seen my left foot no I haven't Danny no. it's like <laughs> It's really close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of like f really physical performance. Watching him deal with the um, the physical problems that his disease carries uh, was incredible. I really loved watching De Niro uh, in this. Going into this movie prior to watching it, knowing that he was nominated, I couldn't remember why. In my mind, I'm like, he got a, he got a nomination because he's De Niro. Hmm. After watching this movie, I'm like, okay, yeah, he deserved that nomination. We'll see at the end of the year if he sticks around when I give my five best, pick, my best, five best actors, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I definitely didn't hate this movie. I'll leave it there. Okay. I'll leave it there. I I still I did enjoy it. I had I did have a good time with the movie. Just I was hoping for more from a Best Picture nominee. Yeah, I I, and I totally get that yeah. too. All right, we're gonna spoil this movie. Spoil it now. Three, two, one. Right, go fuck yourself, Sam. It's time for us to discuss some scenes. Where do you want to start? Um, earlier, Manny, before we got into the podcast room, and I was going over my notes, I made a puzzled expression. And I went, huh, that's interesting, as I was reading through my notes, or something unexpected happened. Yeah. I did not expect to have a difficult time trying to narrow it down to five. There was there was six scenes that I liked, and one was tough to eliminate. So I have eliminated it. I am down to five. Okay. But I'm sure I'm sure it'll probably overlap at some point. I'm hoping you picked it. Anyway. Okay. Um, I have number one, Sayer interviewing for the job. 
Nice pick. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. Sarah interviewing for the job uh, that it doesn't seem like anybody really wants him to have. He doesn't even really know why he's there. He's like, I have no experience with patients at all. Yeah, he has no clinical work. No clinical work at Just all. Just a researcher. Purely research. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, uh, actually made him very a very suitable fit for this job. Yes. But nobody could have possibly known that yep. uh, at the time. And even one of the interviewers was like, yeah, I mean, if you've never worked with a patient, like, what are we going to do? You need to you need to be able to be very good and very, like, you need to have lots of patients John with Hurd. the patient. John Hurd. Yeah, it's, Ke- it's Kevin's dad. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Big year for him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I love that uh, everybody seems very reluctant, including Robin Williams, for him to get into this place but they just find the loosest connection possible. Like, ah, you would have done clinical in college or in university, right? <laughs> you would have had to have done clinical, right? So by definition, you have to be qualified. And it's just a very uh, very good way to, to set up the expectation for the movie. I'm just like, this guy might be in a little bit over his head. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I this uh, it was a good way to grab my interest right out of the gate. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this first scene as well. It was one of the ones I had. I did cut it. I didn't keep it in the hopes that you pick it. Yeah. I, I will no longer be cheating. I will, I'll have my five ready before we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like, I don't know if you noticed, probably not because it was your first watch, but we do, they, they do set up that he is forgetful. Mm-hmm. When he goes for his first interview, he left his car keys in his car door. Oh, I did not notice I that. did notice it right away. I was like, he left your car keys. Yeah. And he just kept walking like, guess he's not going back for them. They do set up that he's very shy as well. Like yes. When he, he approaches the security guard, he's like, excuse me. You're going to have to go talk to her. And then he talks to her. And then he gets sent away by her, I think. And it takes yeah, him. Yeah, she tells him to take a seat. and But there's no there's only, there's only, no seats available. But he could sit on a bench with somebody who's kind of sitting in the middle. And he decides to just stand <laughs> in the middle of the room. Yeah, very, very shy person. Good yes. characterization soundly. Yep. Great setup for the character. Um my first scene doesn't come until later. Mine is the montage of experiments when he starts to realize that this is not atypical. It's typical. Mm-hmm. So he starts to make these connections between some of the patients. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I have the one, the scene right before that okay. uh, where he discovers specifically that Lucy has this reflex. This okay. old woman is brought to him. And he just he kind of toys around with her a little bit. I this is maybe one of the few moments of blocking in the movie that really draws attention to oh, itself. Oh yes, one of the few moments that really draws attention to itself as a movie. It's when we get the the shot um, of Robin Williams turning around to his desk. So we are looking at his face, and Lucy is behind him. And since he is forward in the frame, he's obscuring her. We don't see her at all. Yep. And by the time he turns around, she has left the frame downwards she's yep. she's sort of hunched over in her seat um one of the few moments of real i guess capital f filmmaking uh, that, that we get in the movie it's a small little flash but uh it, for some reason this scene this this is the first moment in the movie where i'm going okay how how fast and loose with the facts are we really playing here this woman who is catatonic she's catatonic she's unresponsive she has they're, the lights are on, but like the lights are barely even on. Honestly, I was yeah. gonna say the lights are on, but nobody's home. But the lights are—they're barely on. They're yeah. very dim. Um, but she manages to catch her glasses, and I think she also catches a ball in this scene, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. There was a ball at her. I don't know how he thought 
to throw a ball at her. I don't know how he possibly thought she was going to catch it. Um, and when she catches the dropping glasses. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this is where I began to be like, I don't know what the fuck is about to happen in this movie, but I hope this is real. Because <laughs> <laughs> if not, like, why would you make something like this up? <laughs> it was it was very strange. But yeah, I, I really liked that scene. And uh, good work. Good work for the uh, actors, both in this scene and the scene you're about to talk about, this montage, of uh, the hand-eye coordination while you're staring forward into space. Yep. Not easy to do. I have to imagine there were a lot of takes and a lot of getting hit in the face with things probably um the montage of experiments uh he uh is it sorry is it nurse eleanor yes yeah nurse eleanor and anthony uh are really excited to help him out with this and then a couple of the other nurses are somewhat reluctant but they do but the three of them uh really get into this uh i really loved how excited anthony was especially with the music we learned that when music plays that they enjoy, it helps them move. And the card game was fascinating where one of the nurses dealt them all hands of cards. I, it looked like, I don't know what game it would have been, hmm. uh, some type of possible Trump game or put down a card, but they're all holding these cards. And she's like, they'll sit like his forever until I play the first card. And as soon as she does it, they all play at a frenetic pace. That was cool. Uh, and then they're trying to get through to Leonard. And we see, like, this is where we see De Niro. So we know, obviously, he's going to be the focus because it's fucking De Niro. But we learn about some of the other ones. And I love when how excited Anthony gets when he learns. He cannot figure out what kind of music Bert likes. Because no matter what music is played, Bert won't move. But then he finally plays, uh, I think it's The Doors. Yeah, I should have had that written down, actually. Yeah. I think it but was, But it is rock music that makes Burt move. Um, and then they start to learn about him. And I also, while you didn't really enjoy the attempted love angle between Nurse Eleanor and Dr. Sayer, uh, what I liked is how, how much Nurse Eleanor really believes in him. Mm-hmm. And I think what she sees is that she's been here for so long and sees that the other doctors don't really care about these patients. That literally just see them as they don't even see them as human and dr sear dr sayer sees them as humans and wants to try and figure out like what is going on so she really believes in him and it, it becomes really apparent in this scene uh and that's why uh i really enjoyed this scene yeah i'm uh, i'm on board with you too i while i may have been a little bit harsh on the uh, julie kavner robin williams uh attempted romance let's say um I guess it, it it is clear why they would bond over this. Having somebody like this, is, let's face it, this hospital is a dark place. Yeah, this is not a place for you to spend a lot of time and enjoy. This is there's a lot of sadness in these walls. So having somebody come into the hospital who really genuinely cares, and you can see that, um, I have to imagine that would be um, a breath of fresh air. So yeah, that definitely. Um, no, no fault there. Uh, by the way, um, I believe. So I'm just looking through the he- uh, through the uh, soundtrack right now. I believe it's Hendrix. Oh, thank I think you. it's I think it's Purple Haze. Okay, that they play. Okay, yeah, we're gonna go with that. Anyway, um, my turn to give a scene. I believe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
the first awakening. Leonard um, Leonard wakes up and writes his name. Do you have yes. anything before that? Nope. Okay. Uh, Leonard wakes up and writes his name. Um, this, <laughs> um, again, just I can't believe this is a thing that happened. I can only imagine how... Um, sorry, Dr. Sayer is the character's name, but uh, there's also... Uh, sorry, one second. Uh, it's Oliver Sacks is technically the name of the doctor, um, but they renamed him Sayer for the, for the movie. Regardless, I can only imagine how he must have felt having this happen to him. Like, watching this happen where he's administered this medication to somebody who has no personality, has no um, apparent thoughts, has very little apparent understanding of the world, or very little... Um, uh, there's little evidence that this person has anything going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. And you are the lone person who believed it and you administered medication. And now this is it. It not only reveals that they do have these inner thoughts, but it creates a person. It brings a person back from the dead. Yeah. More or less. Pretty much. That what is it does. what's happened. They're back from the dead. I can only imagine. I was blown away again. Not, even through anything necessarily the movie did, although the movie is communicating these ideas really well, I think I, I was just blown away at this story. Like I, I couldn't believe that this is actually real, that this yeah. happened. Um, and kudos to um, Robin Williams' performance in the scene, because this would have been in another movie. There'd be fist pumping and cheering and hooray and dancing. And like it, you would have had Robin Williams give a really comedic reaction here. But he's just gobsmacked. Yep. He's got this kind of big dumb smile on his face. Yes. And he just he can't fucking believe it that that it worked and that it worked this well. Yep. So I think a lot of the charm of this scene is in Robin Williams' performance, and uh, I was I was definitely hooked. Nice. Good. Uh, I also like uh, Robert De Niro's little little smile he gives as Robin Williams walks towards him when he's writing his name. Yep. He looks up and has that little smile. Uh, I love that. Great pick. <laughs> yes. Um, I have after that um, when uh, when Mrs. Ruth comes to see him. So when Leonard's mom comes after. Mm-hmm. Um, this almost made me cry. She's so excited for her son to basically be alive again. Um then he goes to see the nurses and their their shock they're so used to seeing him in a catatonic state and he's up walking mm-hmm. i love that and i love when he sees anthony and anthony is so happy <laughs> he's so happy to see leonard up uh i love that scene mm-hmm. yeah i like that too uh, there's one moment i i like generally the character of leonard's mom sorry what's her name mrs ruth mrs ruth yeah um i Generally like this character, but there's one kind of condescending moment she has with Robin Williams' character earlier when she says, uh, he talks to me, and he's asking for clarification. He's doing research on this topic, and he says, in what ways does he communicate to you? Like, he wants specifics. And she says, you're not a parent, are you? If you were a parent, you would know. I was kind of like... (laughs) <laughs> fuck you man like we're trying to we're trying to help your son <laughs> and you get to pull the if you were a parent you would know card i don't know that small moment that irked me nothing to do with but the I, story but i knew yeah 
Because I'm a parent. Exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it must be really easy for you to look down on the rest of us from all the way up there, Manny. It is. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your next pick? Um, what do I have next? Um, I have Leonard reminding Sayre what life is all about. Oh, that's w- okay. That's way later. Way okay, later. I've got, I've got, I've got two before you then. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Sayre is asking for more money so he can give all the patients L dopa. Oh yeah. Uh, it's basically like the cafeteria, and he goes up to John Hurd's character and is basically begging, and John Hurd still being such a fucking dick, despite the obvious success that they've had. Now I don't know the hospital's financial situation since it appears that they were desperate for any doctor to apply i would have to assume that they are not uh overflowing with funds so i can understand him running this hospital being cautious about wanting to spend that money but on the flip side you literally just watch somebody Rise from the dead. How could you care about money if... I'm going to get into everything here. How could you care about money if you literally see the miracle that has just occurred? Yeah. Granted, he is a doctor, so he's probably looking objectively. He doesn't know what the side effects of this drug are because it's brand new. Like I think at this point it's been maybe a month. Mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't even think it's been that long. They don't even know what are the long-term ramifications of this drug. They don't even know, one, but you have to find out, is this an anomaly? Like, is Leonard the only person that is going to react well to this drug? Yeah, what's the, what's the word for that? An outlier. An outlier, yeah. yeah. So I understand, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, be a fucking human being. You have this room full of people that are just, in all honesty worthless like they they are not contributing to society or the world in any way shape or form not only that they have no quality of life yes they're in prison basically they are but they don't know they're in prison as well because leonard Mm -hmm. says that later on he's like Mm -hmm. when we're in spoilers Mm -hmm. when he has those when he starts to slip back and he goes into those catatonic states Mm -hmm. he's like i don't remember any of this he's like it's just like i'm dead Mm -hmm. which as shitty as it says, as shitty as it is, that made me happy that he's not trapped inside his body. I, I like, I, I totally agree with you. There's a scene, there's the one scene that Max Vencido is in, yeah. in this movie, where he has that line like, uh, well, they, they lose all higher function when they're in there, and Robin Williams is like, how do we know? He's like, we know because the opposite is unthinkable. Yeah. He doesn't even say, like, we know it because X, Y, and Z. He's like, it has to be that way because if it's not that way, that's fucked up. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> basically. <laughs> that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, but this scene here, Hurt is being such a dick. And then you get, like, again, it's all the order that you see movies in, but it's almost like the Rudy scene with the jerseys. Yeah, that's so true. But this movie came before Rudy. <laughs> Rudy, Rudy rips off this movie, mm. um, but the staff coming. I don't. I this is one of the scenes I didn't remember, and it's one of the reasons I picked it. Is I fucking loved it, is because I didn't. I also didn't see it coming. And Eleanor is the one who gets it going, right? I no, think. it's or, the redhead. Oh no, Eleanor does do it first. Yeah. <laughs> what I love 
is it stays true to characters because Eleanor comes up and gives her check, and then Anthony gives her check, and then that redheaded nurse who's not the nicest but also not quite a bitch, she comes up, kind of gives him her check, and then I think the other nurse gives her a nudge, and she's like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> the check over. Uh, I really liked it. I had a, I had a really great time with that scene. It's really short, um, but it's one of those kind of heartwarming scenes. Uh, it is. I'm not counting it, but it is followed by the scene where uh, Robin Williams is giving that speech to I think the other the charitable organization mm-hmm. for the for the church. Yeah, the I think they call them the patrons. Yeah, I, I think they must be on a on a donation based. Yeah, or a bo- or a board of some sort. Who yeah. knows? But um, he starts going off, and then Nurse Eleanor gives them the note: less science, more. I think more motion or more fact or less science or something else yeah. or something. So he just kind of starts talking about it. Uh, and then they all start writing checks. While no, that scene, sorry, that scene I didn't like as much as the previous one in the cafeteria, mm-hmm. but yeah, sorry. While I did enjoy this cafeteria scene, it, I kind of felt the same way about it as I do when you see the headlines from the United States, like, uh, w- I don't know. I'm just going to make up a headline, but like you'll see headlines like little girl creates lemonade stand to pay for her father's cancer treatment or something like that. And you're like, Oh, that's so wholesome. And then like, there's a GoFundMe campaign and it gets paid for you. Like, Oh, that's great. And then you realize, Holy fucked. How fucked up is the system where a little child has to enter the workforce so that her dad doesn't have to die to get treatment, to get like to cure a preventable disease. That's kind of how I felt watching this check writing scene. I'm like, Good for them for doing it, but it's so fucked up that these nurses and doctors have to take money out of their own pocket instead of these people being brought back from the fucking dead just being allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> just being allowed to exist. Yep. Uh, it like, kind of pissed me off, but the scene itself is great. Uh, and so I have one more scene before um, you telling... At least, at least I'm pretty sure. Yeah, go ahead. Leonard, Leonard telling... When Leonard tell of the scene you're talking about, is that when he's starting to slip back? Yes. Okay, so I do have one more scene before you. Um, it's when everyone gets a dose. Yeah. And he's upping the dose a little bit, hoping to get the reactions. He's not quite getting it. Uh, him and Eleanor fall asleep in his office, uh, and then the other nurse busts in. It's a fucking miracle. <laughs> uh, I fucking died laughing when she said that. Yeah. Her line delivery unfucking believable mm-hmm. i fucking like burst out <laughs> it's laughing a fucking miracle yeah, yeah i laughed too for sure um everyone is awake williams again this is where williams restraint pays off and makes this movie in my opinion better because he could have taken this to a camp level mm-hmm. um him just looking in awe i don't know if you remember how well do you remember the scene of him just walking around the room just looking at all of the patients kind of awake uh, somewhat, not like the best, but a little okay. bit. Honestly, watch Williams, they, they focus a lot on his reactions to them. It reminds me of when, uh, Sam Elliott and Laura Dern see dinosaurs for the first time in Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. And I was like, uh, oh. Sam, Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Sorry, I said Sam Elliott. Yeah. Uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Uh, that's, I, I wrote down, this is a preview of Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, again, three years prior. Um, and then you see Leonard smiling. Um, I just, I absolutely love this scene. Uh, but the, the, it's a fucking miracle. Biggest laugh. Yeah. And we can we can see in this scene also that the medication has been varied levels of successful. So almost, like, everybody's awake. Everybody is communicating. 
basically. Um, but there's sort of varied levels. Like Lucy, for instance, while she's awake, she still believes that it's 1926, yep. at least for a minute. Um, and there's the piano player who I think is still unresponsive for a little bit at first. But There's a deleted scene that explains that. Oh, okay. And they don't explain it in the movie. Um, he uh, got encephalitis before he learned how to speak. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And that's why... Um, I can't remember why they said, I think they, I think his mother played him the piano while he was in his, while he was suffering from it, from oh. encephalitis. And so that's how he learned how to play is just from the sound, but he never learned how to talk. That is a special kind of suffering as well. Yes. Being an adult, being nonverbal, not learning how to speak. Yeah. Whew, yikes. <laughs> I can't remember where I fucking picked that up. Yeah. Must've been in the trivia, I guess. Must, must've been. Must've been. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I uh, I agree. This is I I, I like that uh, this scene exists purely to set the scene, so we get a couple of these B and C plots uh, mm-hmm. outside of Leonard. Yep. Uh, okay, I think we're at yours now. Uh, Leonard reminding Sayer of what life is all about. This is really the thesis of the. There's a couple scenes which can be described as like the the thesis, the emotional climax, the message, whatever you want to call it. But yep. when Leonard starts to this is as far as my memory serves just when he's starting to go on the decline like really before he started getting paranoid or anything like that but when he asks sayer into his office um and basically rants at him that these people have forgotten what life is all about there's a quote in there somewhere yes. that i that i don't have written down but um they've forgotten that life is about love about relationships about um being with each other and with about play about friendship and uh it seems like everybody else has totally forgotten that message and he wants to he just wants to spread that um it's a great scene and also exists to juxtapose leonard when he develops some paranoia either as a side effect of the medication or as a symptom of his deteriorating mental state whatever it winds up being um this person and the person who will become very paranoid and aggressive um are two different people essentially so um very important scene for its inclusion in the movie for a bunch of reasons. Uh, my last scene um, is when Dr. Sayers goes to see Leonard after he's been upset. Um, this is when De Niro's physical performance is at its peak. He's very, for lack of a better word, twitchy. Um, he's having trouble speaking. Is this the scene where he can't read either? No. Uh, before this. Oh, okay. Um he this is it's it's this last i don't know is it half an hour 15 20 minutes where de niro's physical performance is what really elevates it mm. it's that's the reason why he gets nominated because mm-hmm. prior to this when he's just kind of mm, i don't what's the right word the, the word I want to use is moping, but he's not because he's happy that he's awake, but he's mm-hmm. lethargic um, as he's getting used to being able to move around again and very uh, in wonder of the world around him. Not in wonder because that's, that's too strong. Fascinated by the world around him. Um, but here he is. Th- those scenes, as I was watching those when I was watching this, I'm like, why the fuck did why is he getting nominated for this role Mm -hmm. um but it's here at the end that you realize it uh and it's worthy of the nomination he is absolutely incredible um during this decline phase there's 
the only thing is that this decline phase goes on for a while, and there's lots of scenes of him, I guess for lack of a better word, showing off. Um, the uh, His body breaking down on him. There was a thing that happened, or there was a thing that didn't happen that I'm really glad didn't happen. Somewhere in this section of the movie, Robin Williams' glasses break, and a shard of glass becomes disconnected from it. Yes. And there's a lot of camera focus on it. Like The camera is very interested in these glasses, which are now missing a piece of glass. Yep. And I was very worried that was going to become relevant. And I I, I really thought that uh, that Leonard was going to kill himself. I really thought he was going to cut his wrists and, and kill himself. Mm. Yeah. But he didn't. So, nope. hooray for that. <laughs> uh, do you have, you have one scene left? One scene, scene left. Okay. Um, Sarah having a crisis about giving life and taking it away. Again, yeah. another scene that can maybe be described as like the message of the film. Um, but another great Robin Williams scene where he's not being flashy. He's just so dejected. He felt so proud and uplifted. All of the, all of the love and adoration that he felt, all the pride that he took in his work, all the connection that he had to these people that he brought back from the dead is now being taken away and their lives are being taken back away. Um, I think at this point he only knows that Leonard is deteriorating. I don't know if he knows that anybody else is. Um, but uh, it's he's so dejected and he asks Julie Kavner's quest, uh, uh, character the question of... Uh, like, you think that I'm kind? What's kind about giving life to somebody and then taking it, taking it away? And she responds, "It's taken away from all of us." And I think that's a that's a beautiful beautiful message. It kind of begs the question, you know, was it all worth it? Like, was it worth it for these people to have their lives given back to them, only to have the horror of realizing that it's going to be taken away from them just as fast? Yeah. Like, would you rather have just been left under the entire time? Um, I think. It was worth the try. <laughs> I think it was worth doing. And I think that a number of those people had meaningful connections with both Dr. Sayer and their family in that time. Yeah. So I lean towards saying it was worth it, but also fuck I wouldn't wor- I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. What uh what they're going through. <laughs> so um anyway, this scene of Robin Williams um reflecting on his choices is very powerful and very well acted. Okay. And that's your last one? That's my last one. Okay. What are you picking for your favorite scene? Um, I think I'm actually taking that one. Nice. I think I'm taking that one. It's the, it's the Robin Williams performance, which really sells it for me. Wicked. Uh, I'm going to take Everyone Gets a Dose. Yeah. Um, I just got to say, my last my last cut was Leonard riling up the patients uh, when he was, uh, when he's like really top paranoia. But mm-hmm. again, the De Niro stuff towards the end is more, um, is more the acting focus let's say yep so i had to, it was a last minute cut cool uh performance review i'll start okay i'm going with De Niro. okay because i know that you'll want to focus on the other one sure uh julie cavity yeah <laughs> uh i do have three performances to talk about okay okay um but i'm gonna start with De Niro. um De Niro is great he's very subtle early on um when he when we first meet him and he's in his catatonic state he plays catatonic very well, as do the other actors and actresses in it. When he gets better, I like that he is subtle, still subtle in his performance. And what I'm very glad is that 
there is a scene where he finds out he's not young anymore. But at no point does he ever act like a child. This is not big. Yeah. He's not a child trapped in an adult's body. And uh, I, I like him here. The middle part, uh, he's fine. But it's when he starts to regress that his power as an actor really comes forth. And you really – when you see him do this – you realize that a lot of other people doing this just wouldn't have worked like mm-hmm. at all. They would have went over the top. It would have been really off-putting. They wouldn't have been able his control over his body. Like at no point do I ever feel that he's overdoing it. At no point do I ever not believe him. The way he holds his hands as they start to kind of, crumple and kind of kind of freeze in place i love like they must have i'm sure it was probably in their acting classes that are growing up but they must have went back into mime school Hmm. because when they freeze when they hit the when they go they have those glimpses of catatonic when they're out and they just freeze they're frozen that's hard to do man yeah and i really enjoyed it especially like there's scenes of them eating so they have to hold a spoon steady as they're in that catatonic state um so i i really like de niro in this role i 100 he's that nomination is worthy yeah um yeah so de niro yeah never really seen him in a role of this type before i don't think i had really seen him be this vulnerable before yep and i was here for it i did say that it's an oscar Beatty performance earlier i stand by that assessment but that doesn't necessarily mean bad. It just means that this is the type of performance that the Oscars will look at. And they did. So, yeah, um, yeah I think he did great. Proved why he's one of the best actors of a generation. I'm surprised that this movie doesn't get talked about more with the uh, with the two crazy performance that it has at its helm. You have a confused look on your face. I just it was kind of look. Oh, I want to take a look back at the best actor nominees since Daniel Day-Lewis and how many of them are this kind of performance. Right, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine there's a fair few at least. I mean, we listed off at least a couple earlier, but yeah. um, I imagine the uh, the 90s was... Oh, uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape was another one that was nominated. Yep. For uh, for a young Leo. Yep. Yeah. Maybe another one. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Jack Nicholson is good as it gets. Yep. Yep. Would definitely fall into that category. All right. Cool. Uh. Okay, well, do I talk about the other one? Sure. Robin Williams. I think very opposite very opposite style. It's really intriguing to see these two styles up against each other because Robin Williams is usually the big flashy one, but he has the reserved role, and him taking more of a reserved acting role is uh, kind of the gray that makes De Niro's color pop, if that makes any sort of sense in this movie. Um, I'm also... There was a part of me that went, hey, I wonder if uh, if it would have been cool to have Robin Williams cast in the other role. I wonder if Robin Williams would have done well in the Leonard role. And I realized that that's a terrible idea because he would have made it funny. And no part of this is supposed to be a comedy. This is supposed to be very, very somber, very harrowing movie. So I'm glad that, that didn't happen. I'm glad that I got to see a little bit more of a dramatic side of Robin Williams, especially because... He is 
I mean, he's one of the lead characters in my second favorite movie of all time, Goodwill Hunting. Um, and while he does play more of a dramatic character in that movie, he's still very charming, very Robin Williamsy, very funny, has a number of comedic scenes. Uh, so, yeah, I was happy to see this side of him where he's just being straight, just being, um, you know, uh, really straightforward in his performance. Is there something I can help you with, Manny? No, yeah, keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, Manny's working on something else, so I'm going to keep going with uh, Julie Kavner. Okay. Uh, listen, I love The Simpsons as much as the next person, which is to say a fair amount, uh, <laughs> a fair amount, uh, but not a lot since, you know, the 2000s-ish. Um, it was funny reading a Roger Ebert review for this film where um, he referred to Julie Kavner as like an ex-television regular. Because <laughs> this is 1990 and The Simpsons is on air, but just taking off, like season one. So it, and it definitely wasn't popular yet. Um, so, you know, I'm a fan of Julie Kavner, but... You know, she's just fine in this movie. I don't think her character was given a whole lot to do. I I do believe that her character finds Leonard to be... Or finds uh, Sayer to be a kind man. She's totally believable in the role. There's just not a lot to do here. It's kind of unforgiving. Yeah, I, do, I just don't... I don't think this character would have... Or I don't think this movie would have lost anything by not having her as a character. That's fair. Yeah. So the last role that I want to talk about is the debut of a megastar. I don't know if you noticed him, but there is somebody's acting debut. I did not. In this, this scene. I see the title. That's amazing. In this scene here. So the actor I want to talk about is Vin Diesel. Manny was uh, attempting to pull up a YouTube video on the, on the big screen above us. Yeah. So okay. here we go. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm so ready. All right, here we go. <laughs> You got you got to be ready quick. I'm ready. All right, here we go. There he is. Oh, and wow. <laughs> That's it? That's the entire appearance? Yes. <laughs> four se Man, he just played a four-second clip. I yeah. mean, he played four seconds of a 30-second clip. Yes. That's incredible. There you go. That's Vin Diesel. That was Vin Diesel. That is a, a young Vin Diesel with hair. That's how young he is. Yep. With a hair. Full head of hair. Full head of hair. Yeah. It's very curly and Italian head of hair. Yeah. Very short, but hair nonetheless. I, w I wish you hadn't seen the, the title. I was trying to figure out how I could do it without the title coming up. Nah, I couldn't do it. It's fine. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Vin Diesel in this movie. It's been a long day <laughs> without you, my friend. <laughs> that movie came out tonight. Oh, uh, Fast, Fast and Furious? Are yeah. you going to go? Fuck no. <laughs> I haven't seen the ninth one. Really? Oh. I thought when you did your full rewatch, the ninth one was already out. No. 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 Are you going to see nine? So this is 10? This is the 10th yeah. Fast and Furious? Yeah. Did you uh, ever hear of the uh, campaign that Reddit put together for them to call this movie Fast 10 Your Seatbelts? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, my preferred title for the film. Fast X? Is that what it's called? Yeah. So Fast 10? Roman numerals? A solid three on Letterboxd. 3.0? 3. I just saw the bar graph. It's a... It's a perfect pyramid. It's a middle finger. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pyramid, yeah. Um, just before we get off, quick guess on the Metascore. Uh, of... Fast what? X. Fast X? Yeah. 
Um, it's early on, so I'm going to say probably inflated with uh, critic reviews who were allowed early screenings and wanted to give it positive light. going to say 58. You fucking nailed it! On the dot? On really? the fucking dot. Oh my god, let's go. <laughs> I'm so I'm the best. <laughs> if this was price is right, I think I win 500 bucks, right? So 58 Metascore, 30 on Letterbox. The, Fuck yeah. Their rate, their the critics and the, and the fans are on the same. Page. I bet that we'll, I bet that dips to 50 in the next month. Yeah. I bet you Letterbox gets up to about 3.3 after the weekend. Yeah. After and all the, the, fa- the Metascore will go the other direction. After the, all the fans go see it that love it, yeah. they'll give it a, 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 a bit of a bump. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm so happy about that. <laughs> well done. Uh, any other performances you want to touch on? No. Not really. Vin Diesel's. You, what do you do after Vin Diesel? Yeah, I mean, he set the bar so high. Yeah. <laughs> With his two seconds of screen time where he's almost facing towards the camera. Yep. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, your favorite performance? I'm going to go Robin Williams. Okay. I thought you would. Uh, as I was trying to set up that, I actually didn't get to speak on Robert Williams. Yeah, go ahead. A couple quick things I'll say. Uh, he's really reserved, and I love how he starts to gain compassion for them. But what I really love so much, which we've touched upon already, is that he holds back on his Robin Williamness. He is not the person you think he is. He does not do any of his usual stuff. There is no over-the-top performance here. There is no quick dialogue. It is Robin Williams giving a performance of a very shy man. And the only thing that Robin Williams does in this role that Robin Williams that we love does is that beautiful fucking smile of his. Mm-hmm. That toothless smile that he does, that grin where he keeps his lips together and just has this great big smile across his face. I fucking love it. Yeah. So yeah, I love that you picked him. I was pretty sure you were going to. And I assume from your tone, you're going with De Niro. Oh yeah. 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 It's a fantastic performance. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> all right. Technical review. Uh, you lead off, sir. Uh, I just want to go with the directing first. Okay. I mean, the directing kind of extends to everything, as we've discussed. Um, Also, the tone. I just like the way that the directing is kind of non-intrusive. It's very objective style. Uh, Not very stylistic at all. They are not trying to make you aware that you are watching a movie. They are just trying to tell a story. This could be a documentary. And a lot of that just comes back to the directorial style. I really like that Penny Marshall entrusts her two talented lead actors to... Uh, to carry the movie on their shoulders and trusts the source material to uh, to keep people invested. And she doesn't try to do a lot with it, and I think it's wise. We are going in reverse chronological order. So we did 91. Now we're 1990. This is now the second year in a row that a Best Picture nominee was directed by a female and did not get an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. You mean they did not get an Oscar nomination themselves? Correct. The, the woman director. Yeah. What the, was the other one again? Um, <laughs> the one with Nick Nolte and Barbara Streisand. Oh, Prince of Tides. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this. Uh, oh, interesting. What do you think's more deserving of, of the a, Oscar? Of a director? Yeah. Penny Stry- Marshall or Barbara Streisand? Streisand. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, of the best directors from this year, I've only seen three so far. Costner, Scorsese, and Coppola. I can't take out any of those three no. for Penny Marshall. Stephen, uh, fuck it. No, sorry, I've seen four. I've seen Stephen Frears, The Grifters. I could easily 
easily put in Penny Marshall over Stephen Frears cool. for the Grifters. Not that Stephen Greer's the Grifters, the direction, their, the direction is bad. It's just not great. There's mm-hmm. no, in all honesty, Sam, there's no reason for you to watch the Grifters. Like the movie wasn't in, interesting enough for me to recommend it. Hmm. There's nothing in that movie that stands out anywhere near as what Penny Marshall gets from her actors alone in this movie. Mm-hmm. Angelica Houston got a act, Best Actress nomination. Oh, e. Annette Benning got a Best Supporting Actress. Definitely worth it. Oh, mm, I love Annette Benning. She's great. I know. She's very naked in this movie. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> in uh, 1990? Yeah. Solid. <laughs> yep. Agreed. Um, yeah, I like it. She gets, she makes solid choices in the shots that she decides. She doesn't try to be flamboyant. She doesn't try to do anything special. She just gets good performances. She gets great performances from her two leads and really, really Honestly, great performances from the supporting cast around them, especially from the actors um, with the encephalitis. Mm-hmm. I think all of them were incredibly believable. Totally. Yeah. Totally they were. Especially Alice. Alice. Which one's Alice? The one that couldn't walk on the... The one that I caught ha- the ball. I have her written down as Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. Sorry. Lucy. Yeah. Lucy. Yeah. yeah. She was great. Yeah. 100%. I wonder if the actress's name is Alice. Is that one I'm getting fucked up? Maybe. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Lucy, Alice, very close. Yeah. Both old na- lady her, names. Her real name is Alice. Oh, there you go. That's why. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Uh, I like the directing. I'm going to go... Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the editing. Um, a lot of really quick scenes. No scenes go on for too long. That's very true. Very, very quick. When I made my initial list, I probably had about 14 scenes. Mm-hmm. And then I was going through them like, fuck, like, these scenes are like five minutes long tops, if that. Like, not even. Yeah. The um, best scene and most important scene in the movie is only four seconds long, as we already discussed. <laughs> um, exactly. And uh, But lots of quick scenes. She doesn't linger on anything too long. She gets in. She gets out. Um, the I guess, well, that's not an editing choice. No, you can leave that in. There's nothing I can really think of that needs to be taken out. Um well, we didn't really enjoy the the forced love story between uh, Robin and Julie. Yeah. But whatever. Um, yeah, so I, I enjoyed the editing. Cool. Uh, I don't have a lot more to add to that. Of course, it's 1990, so we have to get one montage in there. Um, it didn't actually really draw attention to itself. It felt... It felt natural. It, it did. It wasn't. Mo- it wasn't montagey. No, it was like the least montagey montage. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with the screenplay. Nice. Um, Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated adapted screenplay, or I guess back then it's called uh, screenplay based on previously existing source material, which is a horrible fucking name. Nope. No. M- missed it. It's even worse than that. What is it? Are you ready? Uh, it's best screenplay based on material from another medium. Nah. <laughs> nah, I don't like that. They've been. They've been working they've been workshopping that name for like 50 fucking years or longer as long as the oscars have existed they've been workshopping that name i yeah. like adapted screenplay me too adapted screenplay is good yeah it's clear concise to the point um anyway the screenplay we obviously have some great source material that we're leaning on that's awesome it's incredibly well written um i was fucking riveted by the story like having not known that essentially there was 
a year back in 1969 when five or so people, I think. No more. More than that? Yeah. Um, I think his initial trial might have been five, but yeah, I guess there were some more after Oh, that. the real story? Oh, I don't know the real I'm, story. I'm not sure. I'm talking okay. about the movie still. But... I was talking about the movie. Yeah. There's definitely... how, how many people do you think were brought back? Okay, well, there's there's Lucy, Leonard, Oh, yeah, Bert. of course there's more than five. Um, there's a scene the... where they go to the bar. Yeah. Uh, the guy that can't talk. Um, a busload of them, I yeah. guess. So, yeah. I don't know. Call it 30? No, it wasn't that many. I want I want to say 13. Like, yeah. Leonard and 12 is... Because I, I, I think in my mind, in that scene I liked where he asks for money... I think he said there's 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then he goes five, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at any rate, uh, I did not know that there was just a time in 1969 when uh, 12 or so people, 13 or so people were brought back from the dead. So I found the story to be really intriguing. I found mm-hmm. it to be really well told, really concisely told, and also very devastating at the end. Um, I really could have done without... Um, the Julie Kavner love plot, especially because, again, I haven't read the book, so I can't confirm this. My suspicion is that this was added in in the movie. This did not happen in real life, and this was probably a studio exec saying we need some sort of romantic subplot. Um, The reason my suspicion is that way is because the real... I'm sorry, it's Oliver something. It's Oliver... Sacks. Oliver Sacks. The real reason is because Oliver Sacks revealed in 2015 that he was gay. And that is why he never married. So, I'm not to say gay men have never dated women before. Of course they have, but that uh, that further confirmed my suspicion that the love plot was simply uh, executive tomfoolery. That's my hunch, anyway. Okay. Um, so that's my my one blemish on the screenplay, which other other than that is uh, is fantastic. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I think the screenplay is good. It, it did get a, a an Oscar nomination. It lost out to Dances with Wolves. I was just kind of quickly looking through my 1990 movies that I've watched so far, trying to determine which of these movies would have been adapted from something, which is a little bit harder. Um, and I can't see any here that I... Like, I, I think it was kind of worth it. So far. So far. There's a best original screenplay we mentioned last week that shouldn't be in there because fucking Miller's Crossing didn't get nominated. Right. Uh, and that's green card. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm good. I'm done. I, those are the only three I want to talk. Yeah. About. I mean, I, as you saw, I was listening to the score as I was kind of working mm. on my notes before we came on air. It's fine. Um, I will also say, uh, I'll tie this into the screenplay thing actually as well. Okay. So the, I can't really put my finger on why specifically, but the tone of the final scene irked me i can't i can't really put a specific reason on why what i'm what i'm getting at is that like the very final scene the very final scene okay uh uh it's not just that they get together in quotation marks we don't really know they get together but they go on a date or they agree to go on a date the score i think is a little too happy in this one specific scene and robin williams character is a bit too all right and i think that's why this scene feels out of place it's kind of like all of these people just had this devastating thing happen to them. And I don't need this character to be depressed. I don't need Sayer to, to be depressed. But it's kind of like... <laughs> I, I can't even really describe what it is. It's I know, just, it's just I, like the, but I know what you're trying to get like across. It's like the executives saw this movie and went, yeah, that's cool, but 
can't we have him win at the end? Like, can't we, like, it should be a happy ending. We need to have, we need to have, like, be uplifting. But it doesn't feel uplifting. It feels tone deaf. Okay. Like, they just had this horrible thing happen. And he's like, hey, why don't you and I get a cup of coffee? And the score is just like, tra la 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 Everything was fine. And it's it's a weird outro. And it left me moderately confused, I will say. Does that make sense? It does. You get what I'm trying to say? Okay. I do. All right. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, that was my where my brain went when I said the word score. There's one moment with the score at the very end where I think it's just a, the tone is just a little off. Nothing wrong with the music specifically, just matching to the movie is a, is a little bit off. The rest of the time, it's it's doing just fine. It's just the right amount of magical uh, for this for this magical event. Okay, what are you going with? Um, I like the directing. Me too. Yeah, yeah going with it. Cool. Uh, all right, favorite quotes. Uh, I've got four. All right, I got uh, Dr. Sayre. What we do know is that as the chemical window closed, another awakening took place, that the human spirit is more powerful than any drug, and that is what needs to be nourished with work, play, friendship, family. These are the things that matter. This is what we've forgotten, the simplest things. Great quote. Uh, Number two is from Anthony. We call this place the garden. We feed and water them. (laughs) Yeah, I like that too. Number three is from Dr. Sayer. That's not waiting. That's swimming. <laughs> yep. And my last one is I actually want to play this clip because I can't express on how important it is to get the delivery of this line done correctly right. to fully enjoy the majesty of this quote. All right. So here it. we go. It's a fucking miracle. <laughs> it's a fucking miracle. It's a fucking miracle. Her delivery of that line left me honestly in stitches. I laughed really fucking hard. I only have four quotes. Oh, only four. Only four. Okay, that's funny. We have uh, but one overlap. Okay. And um, that is what we do know is that as the chemical window closed, another awakening took place, that the human spirit is more powerful than any drug, and that is what needs to be nourished with work, play, friendship, family. These are the things that matter. That's what we'd forgotten. The simplest things. Cool. That's the one overlap that we have. Okay. Uh, there's one from very early on in Sayer's ten- tenure where he says, I'm sorry, if you were right, I would agree with you. I love that, <laughs> I love that one. That's a good one. Um, number three. Three is uh, one of the ones from my favorite scene in the movie uh, where he says, you told him I was a kind man. How kind is it to give life only to take it away? Mm-hmm. That's a great quote. And uh, number four is from Lucy. I can't imagine being older than 22. I have no experience at it. I know it's not 1926. I just need it to be. And then number five, um, again, I try not to have conversations, but this one was too good to omit. Um, it's between uh, Robin Williams and Max von Sydow. Um, what's it like to be them? What are they thinking? They're not. The virus didn't spare their higher faculties. We know that for a fact? Yes. Because, because the alternative is unthinkable. Yes. Love it. Love it. Um so to shock nobody, shock nobody that my pick is it's a fucking miracle. Oh, I fucking knew it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, bit of a tougher one for me. I think I'm going to go with um, Robin Williams. You told him I was a kind man. How kind is it to give life only to take it away? Nice. I thought you were going to take the last one with Max Vanzito. Yeah. yeah. Again, it, it docks points because it's dialogue. Cool. <laughs> That's fair. Um, what was the weak link of the film? Um, Julie Kavner. I mean, sorry, not Julie Kavner specifically. Eleanor. Eleanor. Julie Kavner's being fine. She's fine with what she's given. But the okay. character of Eleanor is a little weak. Okay. Uh, I was going to go with the love story. Yeah, love story. Yeah. What do you want to do? I didn't have a problem with Julie Kavner. I just had a problem with them yeah. trying to force some type of love story between yeah, them. Yeah, if Julie Kavner's character was only only a nurse, that was her, she showed up and did her job, like, she would be fine. So, yeah, maybe the problem is in Eleanor. It's the, the love story. Okay. Love, plot. love B plot. All right. Uh, I got some trivia for you. Cool. Not a lot. Um, Dr. Sayer treats the catatonic patient Leonard with a drug called uh, Levodopa, L-Dopa. This was the same drug used to treat Robin Williams' own Parkinson-like symptoms before his death in 2014. I read that. That is a dark kind of irony. Yes. Um, in an interview with Arsenio Hall, film critic Roger Ebert was disappointed that Robert De Niro was nominated for an Oscar over his co-star Robin Williams, whom Ebert felt this was some of the actor's finest work. He was also disappointed that Penny Marshall was not nominated for Best Director, as the film had received several other nominations, including Best Picture. Mm -hmm. And as usual, Roger Ebert was bang on. Yep. Uh, and the last one I have, which we already touched upon, uh, Julie Kavner, who plays the role of Eleanor Costello, is also the voice of Marge Simpson from The Simpsons. Yes, she is. How quickly did you realize it? When I saw her name in the credits. Okay. I, know, I know who Julie Kavner is. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> um, some Cassie what-ifs. Uh, Robert De Niro wanted Shelley Winters to play his mother. Mm -hmm. However, the studio insisted that she read for the part first. Mm -hmm. Winters refused to do so. And when she met the casting director, she reportedly put both her Oscars on the desk and said, quote, some people think I can act, end quote. Is, sorry, what I didn't really realize in that quote was, is that who wound up getting cast or wasn't it? Nope. Okay. Nope. Got it. Um, Robert De Niro almost worked with director Penny Marshall two years earlier in Big. He was initially penciled in for the lead role by Marshall for it, but the studio didn't want him as the lead for a comedy. So De Niro eventually left the project. Marshall still wanted to work with him, however, and chose him for the lead role here. Probably a better fit here. Yep. Uh, Penny Marshall at first wanted Bill Murray to play Leonard, who was interested in the project. But she decided against it because she didn't want audiences expecting a comedy. Yeah, that would not have been a fit. And this was the big one for me. At one point, this was a film Steven Spielberg considered directing before passing it on to Penny Marshall. The time he spent on the project did yield one useful outcome for him. Steven Zellian's script took several short chapters about each, about each about different patients and put them together in a linear whole. This brought Zellian to Spielberg's attention, and he offered Zellian the similar task of adapting Schindler's List, which ended up winning the Oscar for both of them. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, closing credits. Would you watch this movie again? Yes. No. Whoa. Nope. Okay. Nope. Would you recommend this movie to friends? uh yeah yeah i would yeah i would so would i yeah i think this is a good movie and i think people would enjoy seeing it it's mm -hmm. that whole inspired by true events kind of movie that people seem to enjoy yeah yeah i have no problem recommending this sam who's the mvp of the film tough i am going to say even though i preferred robin williams performance robert de niro is really the MVP of the film. You need somebody who can convincingly, convincingly do the physical acting for this movie to work. 
Yeah, I'm with you. It's De Niro. De Niro's the MVP for sure. Um, Sam, recommend a good double feature with this film. Okay, so I haven't seen it, but I've in reading a few of these reviews, uh, Rain Man was thrown around oh, a lot. Was fuck. thrown around a lot. I didn't even think of that. Um, I decided to go with what, in my mind, is the only other entry in this. So I got to read what I wrote here. The only other entry in the. Genius medical professional played by a bearded Robin Williams turning people's lives around against all odds through the power of human connection cinematic universe. That would be Goodwill Hunting, of course. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting and this is a double feature, hey? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I had two as well. All right. So one is slightly... They're both kind of thematic in different ways. So I went with the theme of Robin Williams being a doctor. I went with Patch Adams. Okay. A movie a lot of people revile. <laughs> because it is it is Robin Williams being Robin Williams as a doctor. Oy. Now, he's based on a real-life doctor named Patch Adams. It's based on a true story about a doctor who felt that being silly would help patients. Mm-hmm. So Robin Williams is, like, perfectly cast. Yeah, naturally. Um, I've seen that movie maybe twice. It's been a long time. I remember thinking it was just fine. There is, I, I won't spoil it. There's one scene where he's asked to host a symposium. I'll go that far. And what he does is chef's kiss amazing. Chef's kiss <laughs> amazing. Cool. Almost worth the price of admission alone. <laughs> Almost. Almost. Um, um, but the other movie I had for a double feature uh, is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah, which is a very natural, very natural pick. Yep. Um, I did jot down a third one while we were talking about what we've been watching. Mm-hmm. Um, tonally and stylistically, I find this movie to be very similar to Spotlight. So oh. I think Spotlight might be almost kind of, I mean, I think Spotlight's a better film. It's a much better <laughs> film. No offense, Penny Marshall. No, like, no, no offense. No offense. Spotlight is a masterpiece. Yeah. So if you if you like this style of film, kind of understated, um, where characters are just given information and you get to watch them process that information and deal with it, I think Spotlight is a is a good one to go to. All right, I like that. I I really like your Rain Man pick. Yeah. That's. I I couldn't God. make that my like main pick because I haven't seen it. I felt yeah. disingenuous. Oh, it's a fucking good pick though. Yeah. Um, what will be this film's legacy? Doesn't have much of one. Agreed. It really doesn't. I, at least to me, I mean, I had never, I had never fucking heard of this movie. No. I never knew it was anything. Um, you could say it's a, it's a pretty good medical drama, but yeah, not much of a legacy. No, I'm with you. Um, did you learn anything from this movie? Enjoy life while you can. That's really the gist of it. Be friends with people, fall in love, do what you can while you can. I am so glad you got a positive message from this movie because mm-hmm. I am the opposite. The movie, this movie, when I saw it back in the early 90s, this is what I learned from it, and it's still the thing, the lesson I learned from this movie, that there are diseases and disorders out there that still baffle us and scare the shit out of me. Yeah. That's, that's another good lesson, honestly, is there are still ungodly, horrific things that happen to people for no good reason. Yep. Uh, Sam, your final thoughts on awakening well it wasn't a sexual awakening so <laughs> uh, so uh unfortunately uh took the l on that one but you know what i think the movie that we got was arguably uh, as good as it could have been um really impressed uh, 
you, you have to imagine my delight uh, watching the opening credits and seeing Robert De Niro, Robin Williams in this movie that I have no idea yes. about. I'm just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, oh, thank is this God. Mrs. Delphire? This is probably going to be this, good. <laughs> is this Mrs. Delphire going to get sexual yeah. awakening? Yeah. <laughs> so, or yeah. did you see Robert De Niro like, I have to watch a sex scene with Robert De Niro? Hey, man. Like, whatever. And Julie Kafter? <laughs> Oh, homie. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was impressed uh, by Awakenings. I was mostly blown away, honestly, by the storytelling, mm-hmm. by the the way that the real life information was communicated, in a way that I shared in Sayers' astonishment. Mm-hmm. I I was able to relate to the protagonist really hard and uh, empathize with his with his astonishment that he felt at every turn. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that. I've brought these people back. And I think that's one of the things in Robin Williams' performances that really rang true is even though it's understated, he's very clear about the positive emotions that he feels through a lot of this movie and the joy that he gets out of connecting with these people who are just experiencing connection for the first time in decades. Um, That is the heart of this movie, and it's a delight to watch. Um, Some great physical performances by many of the cast, um, in particular Robert De Niro, uh, also elevate the film. Uh, that's a thumbs up to Penny Marshall. Um, a League of Their Own, I think I gave a three, if uh, really? if memory serves. Oh, wow. I think so. Yeah. Um, but uh, so far, so good on the Penny Marshall train. I can't remember what else of hers I've seen. Big. I, I saw Big a long time ago. Oh. Not really enough to um, give an educated opinion on it, let's say. So um, maybe I'll need to dive deeper into the into the Penny Marshall stuff. But for right now, I think she uh, she made a good one. Good for you, Penny. Hmm, I can't find the League of Their Own. Hmm. Well, I can I can letterboxed it. I okay. can I can find it on there. Um, I actually forgot this was directed by Penny Marshall. And so when I saw her name come back up on screen, I was really excited. And uh, you did give it a three. I oh, did, and wow. so did you. Oh yeah, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was very nervous going into this movie as I was pretty sure I wasn't going to like it. Thankfully, it I did like it. I had I enjoyed the movie. It's just not one that I will ever want to rewatch. I just didn't enjoy it enough where it's something that I will put on. I am I I will say and sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I'm curious to see if I ever do rewatch this, how rewatchable it'll be. Now that I know the story, mm-hmm. if it will wow me the same way. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, the performances from De Niro and Williams are both absolutely spectacular. I think De Niro's obviously putting on an incredible performance. He was nominated for an Oscar for it, and rightfully so. It is, as my co-host has liked to point out, very Oscar Beatty, but mm. it worked, and it is a great performance. What we, Sam and I both love is Robin Williams' performance because it's very understated, a very standard Tom Wilkinson role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's nice. really, really good. The movie is very well done. It is perfectly directed by Penny Marshall. It tells the story it needs to tell without trying to show off. Um, the movie is totally, um, totally worth watching if you get a chance. Um, time to give this movie a rating. Sammy Boy, what do you give in this movie? Uh, this feels like a pretty easy four for me. I enjoyed this movie. I was really intrigued by uh, by the story and... Uh, couple of good performances at the helm really brought it home. Yeah, it's a three for me. Yeah. Uh, I 100% get the four. I just didn't enjoy it enough. If if this had been my first watch mm-hmm. at 
this point in my life, not when I watched it, because it it definitely it wasn't even a four back then, but I would have been eighteen, yeah. when I, seventeen when I saw it. Tia would have been a four, but knowing knowing everything that was going to happen, just not the details and what gets it there, the finer points, uh, took the movie away from me. So it's a three on my rewatch. Cool. Uh, by the way, this has nothing to do with anything really, but oh, cool. uh, shout out to a small little appearance from uh, Peter Stormare. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, getting mentioned on the podcast for the second week in a row. Yeah. <laughs> he won't get mentioned next week unless one of us watches a movie of his. I doubt it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of next week, Sam, what is next week? Well, Manny, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I, I have a question it. for you. Are, you. are you feeling festive at all? I, I do. Yeah. Wait, do you, do you hear that? Those are jingle bells, Manny. Yes, it is It is Christmas in May. Uh, we're going to be recording that. Well, I mean, it's probably going to be a week from today, so we'll call it like, what is that, May 25th? We're going to be recording an episode on Home Alone. Home Alone. Why, you ask? Well, uh, we're doing 1990, and it's our usual tradition to do take a number of the boxes for the year. One of those boxes is highest grossing film. Well... People really fucking loved Home Alone. <laughs> sure, fucking. It was the did. highest grossing film of the year. That is crazy talk. A Christmas movie starring a. I mean, we know Macaulay Culkin as a household name now because of Home Alone, um, but at the time, I mean, he was already a an established child actor, but not to this extent. This made him. A star. Yep. This it turned him from a child actor to a child star. Um, so yeah, next week we're gonna be doing the highest grossing film of 1990, Home Alone. Break out the Santa hats. Just gonna double check. See if I want to see if it was the worldwide leader as well. Right. Let's yeah. Just, let's just find out quickly. I here. mean, I would imagine so. I mean, Chris. I feel like Christmas movies tend to do pretty well worldwide. You have a very furrowed brow right now. Something else. No, it's it's not lining up. Hmm. I don't think they have worldwide statistics from back then because the worldwide and the domestic are the same number. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and there's no way that it didn't Oops. play outside North America. Yeah, because it definitely did. Um. What the fuck? <laughs> so yeah, it's number one by a lot. I don't uh, even know what number two would be. You, I know you don't. Don't look it up. Okay, I'm not gonna look it up because I want you to be shocked when I reveal. It it is a movie that we'll be reviewing. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to your. In all honesty, I'll just say this right now. Uh, one. I do have an idea in we mind. We are we are reviewing seven of the top ten grossing films from this year. We've already reviewed. Not in this, but in the past, we've already reviewed one of them. So not of the seven. So the, there's seven films from 1990 oh, so that we're reviewing in Die this Hard ministry. 2. Die Hard 2 was the eighth highest grossing film. Yeah. We have reviewed number 11, which is Back to the Future Part 3. Mm-hmm. So we are we were reviewing uh, numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 10. Wow. We're not reviewing uh, number 5 and number 9. Because I didn't want to. Care to reveal what those were? Yeah. Number five um, was asked by one of our PFGs or mentioned that she would like to review this movie. 
uh, and that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, but she gave me an option, so I took a different one. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> um, which I, I've already watched that in my rewatch. Terrible? Not as bad as I remember, but I'll spoil this for you. Hmm. Uh, I'm sitting at 40 films for 1990 so far. Uh, it sits at 26. Wow. Yeah. There were, what, 13 then films that were 14 films that were worse than it? Teenage Mutant, the first one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies, it actually isn't that bad. Totally worth watching. Would not have enjoyed doing a full episode on. Got it. I would have if, if it's what she wanted. I'll review, it was Jordan. Um, but I, uh, the other film that she would have preferred to do mm-hmm. um, was one. The other one is number nine. I guarantee you we probably would have had a really good time reviewing this. Probably because... We would rip it apart. And that's Dick Tracy. I don't even know if I remember what that is. You Do you know who Dick Tracy is? No, I don't think so. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe if I have no memory jog, but I'm not sure. Like the name, I know I've heard the name. I just don't really know who that is. Uh, Dick Tracy is a comic book character, but uh. not a comic book character. A comic strip character. Oh, okay. A detective interesting yeah and they made a movie about him yeah they did is it bad i remember as a 15 year old boy going to see dick tracy and back then thinking this is cheesy <laughs> interesting Here, and you're planning on rewatching it yourself oh yes oh hmm. i'm very excited hmm. so hold on let me see if i can i'm gonna don't look right now because I, I don't Kay. i don't want it to reveal not looking at your screen of whatever you're Googling right now. Oh, apparently. Oh, it was also a TV show. That I did not know. Hmm. Dick Tracy. Oh. Trying to think of other comic strips that have been adapted into movies. The only one I can think of right now is Garfield. And that sucked. <laughs> okay. So this is... Can you see that? Yep. That's Dick Tracy. Okay. Okay. Um, I can't, I can't remember what his love interest is okay would you like to harbor a guess in 1990 who plays this character dick tracy uh, should there be a really obvious one no no in all honesty i just want to see who you guess because you won't get it i don't know yeah the, somebody have... with a chiseled jaw and like black hair i'm gonna say like a pierce brosnan type well that's a good guess by judging by that picture yeah i like that yeah uh, no <laughs> no um but you have seen a movie that this person that plays dick tracy uh, was in, and I believe you saw. Yes, we reviewed it for 1991. Um, that person's name is Warren Beatty. Oh, weird. There. He played Dick Tracy. Yeah. Hmm. His love interest is played by Madonna. Oh. The main villain, whose name I can't remember, is played by Al Pacino. <laughs> that's good the face on al pacino in that photo nominated for best supporting actor for that role worthy this year we'll find out okay i haven't i have not seen dick tracy since i saw it in theaters in 1990 wow yeah 33 years uh-huh there's a possibility i rented it once in the 90s like when it came when it hit home video hmm. so i've seen this movie twice Max. Max. I would push the limit to three. Pushing. But I know I saw it in theaters. 
You're pretty sure you've seen it once since. And I'm pretty sure I've seen it once since, but again, in the 90s. I won't lie. I'm very intrigued to see what I think of it now. Yeah. So that was the number. That was the ninth highest grossing film of the year. Wow. Okay. Wow, we went on a bit of a tangent. Yeah. And I won't reveal the other ones. I'm, I have a guess what number two is, but like, I mean, it's a film that I'm aware of. I assume. Yeah, because we're we're it's in the miniseries, so yeah, it's okay. one of the movies we'll be doing. Okay. Maybe I'll write it down somewhere. That's my guess. Maybe I won't say it right now. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, all that to say, (laughs) (laughs) all that to say, number one highest grossing film of the year, Home Alone. That's next week. All right. Uh, Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. There's more people to find us. You can also uh, give us a rating on Spotify. And also, for those of you using Spotify... I don't know if it comes up on the app, but on the website itself, or, or if you're on a, a PC or Mac, um, there's a weekly question attached to all of our episodes. Uh, if you answer the question, I will read your answers on air. I've been checking, checking them regularly. Nobody has. Nobody has. <laughs> well, I know that Wes answered one quite a few weeks ago, like mm. quite a few weeks ago, early on. Right. But nobody's answered them since. If you answer it, I promise to read your answer on air. I will have to check to see if it's on the app or not, but I know it's on the uh, on the computer. When if I log in on my computer, okay. you can also uh, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Even though we don't post on Twitter, so why don't we just go? Let's just drop the fucking Twitter. Yeah, I don't. I deleted Twitter from my phone. Honestly, yeah, I never I use it. Never tweeted. Uh, I was actually going to use Twitter to kind of live tweet while I was watching movies. Yeah, but that's less enjoyable for you. It is. Yeah. Well, it's the same as when I do my watch longs as I fucking talk to the others. Mm-hmm. But whatever. So follow us on Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. Uh, you can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Letterboxd at Manny42 and Sam Reimer, respectively. Thank you so much for listening. For the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. It's a fucking miracle. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios!